0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DVD prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
1: 18+. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk.
2: The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. worldafropedia.com
3: On November 25th, 1491, Santiago defeats the last Muslim stronghold, Granada. King Ferdinand gave thanks to God for victory, and the Pope of Rome declared this day to forever be a day of thanksgiving for all European Christians. Now listen. When you celebrate Thanksgiving, what you are actually celebrating is a proclamation of the Pope yeah, of Rome, who later in leave with Queen Isabella, sent Cardinal Seminole to Spain to murder yeah, any yeah, blacks yeah. that resisted Christianity. Yeah, these moors, yeah, yeah, these yeah, black yeah, men and yeah, women, were bad yeah, we bad yeah, Turkey. Yeah, 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 yeah. And today you eat the turkey yeah, 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 for your Thanksgiving yeah, 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 Day as yeah, yeah, the yeah, European yeah, powers yeah, yeah, destroy yeah, the turkeys
0: who were the forefathers and your fox. Get on the ground! Let's fight the
4: power. 20% of Americans identify as Catholic. In the African-American community, that figure is much smaller, not much more than one in 20 is a Catholic. Among them is Cecilia Moore. She's a professor of religious studies at the University of Dayton, a Catholic research center in Ohio, and we reached her to learn more. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. In a broad sense, how do you see the African-American Catholic
2: community here in the United States? The black Catholic population of the United States, the figure that's given is around 3 million. And that would include African-Americans who were born and raised here. It definitely includes an emerging African immigrant community. And also lots of black Catholics in the U.S. have Caribbean roots, too. It also includes what we would consider to be cradle Catholics, meaning those people who were born into a Catholic family and baptized as infants and raised all the way through as Catholics. But it also includes people who choose Catholicism. May I talk to you then about the church
4: itself, though, in that context? It it has been said generally about American Christianity, that the church is the last segregated institution in America. What about the Catholic Church? For African Americans, was it an experience of segregation? Has it been?
2: Well, uh, I would say that, yes, there is that experience but there are also experiences where you see the Catholic Church lead on desegregation. Archbishop Ritter of Indianapolis uh, in the 1940s desegregated the Catholic schools in Indianapolis. For me, this is a really important thing. It's a both-and story. There is racism within the church, and there is racism within the church because the church is a part of our culture.
4: Do African Americans, um, Catholics, as do other Christian denominations, do they tend to worship in separate
2: congregations? That will depend on where you are in this country. If you are from a place that has a large old black Catholic history, a place like New Orleans or Baltimore, you have very old, well established parishes that were established for African-Americans. Most black Catholics don't live in either one of those places. We're scattered all across the United States. And so for most of us, the possibility of belonging to a black parish is not there. I know you are a practicing Catholic, also an African-American. What is your church there in Dayton like? St. Benedict the Moor is a parish that is predominantly African-American. We also have a significant population of Catholics from various places in Africa, especially Ghana. Our priest is from Ghana. That is a witness to the universality of Catholicism because the church is supposed to be a place for all of us. Thank you very much for joining us. You are welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Cecilia Moore teaches
4: at the University of Dayton. She is also a professor at the Institute for Black Catholic Studies.
0: It was a big day for the Pope and for U.S. Catholics. The pontiff visited the White House, where he met privately with President Obama, and he made a speech arguing for immigration rights and urging recognition of the dangers of climate change. And one group of parishioners also hoping for some recognition, black Catholics. A survey out of Georgetown University estimates that only about 3% of American Catholics are black. But the history of black Catholics in this country is a complicated one dating back to the 17th century. Though slavery was officially condemned by Pope Gregory in the 1830s, the church continued to struggle with segregation in its parishes and schools well into the 20th century. Since then, a shift in demographics has seen the closure of black parishes or conversion to Latino services. For more on the intersection of race and faith, I'm joined by Anthea Butler. She's a Catholic and an associate professor of religious studies at the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome to Take Two.
5: Thank you. Thanks for having me today.
0: African-American Catholics have a long history in the U.S. Tell us a little about
5: that. Well, yes, we do. If you think way, way, way back, uh, there were black Catholics that came in with the conquistadors. Um, My family became Catholics in part because they came in slaves from the port of New Orleans. And whenever you bought a slave there, in seven days, you had to have them baptized. This was called the Code Noir. And black Catholics have been around in America for a long time, but somehow we've remained invisible. And that's something I would like to see rectified.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned St. Monica's High School. The high school that I went to, we used to go play schools like Verbum Day in Watts or Sarah in Gardena. It wasn't until I almost got out of high school that I realized that for a lot of black Americans, Catholicism wasn't the number one religion. When it comes to the Catholic Church and black America, do you think there is still a connection there? or, Or maybe do most Americans think that, hey, maybe blacks and Catholics don't really mix?
5: I think that's a misnomer. I think it it depends on where you are. If you're in a place like, say, Houston, Texas, or Lafayette, Louisiana, or New Orleans, or Chicago, uh, yeah, you think Black and Catholic mix just fine. If you're in, say, Nashville, Tennessee, or some other place, you know, maybe you don't think that so much because you don't see that many Black Catholics. But I do think for Catholics, there's a sense in which... The universality of the church makes you, in one way, try to overlook some of the ethnic things that are happening. On the other hand, you have to deal with them because of the different ethnic communities and parishes.
0: What role does racial identity play in Catholic worship services?
5: It plays a very big role. I mean, if you think prior to Vatican II, there wasn't a lot of racial identity. Everybody was sort of forced into the same kind of worship styles and all of that post-Vatican II, black Catholics were able to explore different musical styles with gospel music. This morning when the Pope came in to meet with President Obama, there was a black Catholic choir there Mm. that sang for them this morning. So there's a lot of different ways in which black Catholics have put forth their culture within the Catholic Church.
0: How is it different from the way that other Catholics conduct services?
5: I think the difference is, is when you see black Catholic parishes, and I'm thinking about especially Los Angeles, my former parish, St. Monica's, which has a really vibrant black Catholic contingent there at the parish, and, and St. Agatha's as well. And that means something to people when they're all together, and they did the same kinds of things. I think the difference is is how black Catholics were perceived by other Catholics in the church. If you think about immigration and all the ethnic Catholics, we have Polish Catholics, Irish, Germans, Italians. Everybody always focuses on them for culture within the Catholic Church. But nobody looks at black Catholics. And I think our unique history has a lot of cultural implications because we've had to straddle the line between you know, being black Americans and being black Catholics.
0: The Latino population in the country has risen significantly over the past five decades. What effect do you think this has had on black parishes?
5: It's had a big effect. Um, I'm thinking about a parish like St. Odelia's, which was, you know, the oldest black Catholic congregation parish in Los Angeles. They flipped. It was like three or four English services. And now there's lots of Spanish services and maybe one English service. Hmm. And that meant that when people moved out of the area, when, you know, upscale African-Americans decided to move out to the Burbs in L.A., They all went away, and those parishes changed. And I think that's been a problem in certain ways. People have felt uncomfortable because they feel that they're they're being pushed out. It's not that they don't want to be welcoming. Let me be clear. They feel like they're losing because their needs are not being addressed when you have another burgeoning congregation and population coming in.
0: Did that at all lead to a number of blacks maybe not identifying as Catholics?
5: Well, perhaps. I think what has happened more in the last maybe 30 or 40 years has been a sense of frustration with the church. And there have been a lot of people leaving for different kinds of reasons altogether, you know, sex abuse scandals, those kinds of things. I do think, however, that by not paying attention in some places, I'm not going to say all, to the needs of black Catholics, especially with the kinds of priests that are assigned to dioceses and parishes, that has caused a real problem. Let's say you have a priest that does not understand the unique kinds of cultural needs for African-American Catholics, and they're, say, from the Philippines or even African priests. That causes a lot of problems.
0: Now, Pope Francis will be visiting uh, Our Lady Queen of Angel School in New York City later this week. Why is that significant?
5: Well, it's significant for a couple of reasons. One is there's a, a large contingent of um, immigrants. It's an ethnically mixed school. But even more important than that, it is a closed, predominantly African-American parish. The parish was closed a couple of years back by the Archdiocese of New York, and the members continue to pray every day in the park outside of that church. And I think that is one of the stories that we miss, how do people get displaced from the parishes that they know and love? And this displaces them. And it's really hard sometimes to integrate black Catholics into other parishes if those parishes don't have black people already in them, if you know what I mean. It's hard to put together people and just say, well, because you're all Catholics, that's going to work. I mean, enculturation just doesn't mean that, you know, you can just throw everybody together. It's going to be okay. Sometimes people are really upset about that. That can create a lot of tension.
0: You know, Pope Francis has spoken out a lot about poverty, corporate greed. He's remained silent, though, on issues like use of force, the uh, recent civil unrest that we've seen in places like Baltimore and, and Ferguson, Missouri. What do you think black Catholics are hoping to hear from the Pope during his visit?
5: Well, I think that they hope to hear several things. One is I think that they'd like to hear some comment about racism in America. I mean, the the Catholic Church's history with race has been, you know, a troubled one in a lot of ways. You have to think about, you know, missionary activity, uh, slavery, even though Popes spoke out against slavery and, and, you know, issued papal bulls, slavery still happened. This racial situation we're currently in in America right now, especially with mass incarceration and police brutality, I think would be something very important for the Pope to say that black Catholics want to hear. Second, I just think that black Catholics would like to be recognized. We have a huge history here in the United States, the first black Jesuit In the country, Patrick Healy was the president of Georgetown. We have an order that was started by Henriette DeLille, the Sisters of the Holy Family. People are hoping that maybe the cause for her sainthood could progress. There's lots of different ways in which black Catholics could be recognized by the pope, and I'm hoping that we hear something from him while he is here in the United States.
0: Anthea Butler is an associate professor of religious studies at the University of Pennsylvania.
6: And I will even say that the uh, Speaker of the House, John Boehner, that some of his hostility and anger, the tone that he directs at President Obama is because he's almost as dark as President Obama. And he's dark and has that skin color because there's some black Genetic material in his heritage. That color is not a tan. And I don't think that he respects himself because he has
7: that coloration. He said that there were 11 children in his
8: family and that four of them took their skin, their color,
9: after their mother. Well, what does that mean? This is the week that the Pope came to town. The president of China stopped by and the Speaker of the House resigned. We're going to start with that surprising announcement today by John Boehner. He says he will leave his position and House seat at the end of next month. The Republican faced unrelenting pressure from conservatives in his own party. NPR's Elsa Chang begins our coverage. Did the Pope inspire him to do it? That was the question
10: on perhaps everyone's mind this morning. Uh, no, no. Yesterday was a wonderful day. It really was. But he was struck by the Pope's reference to the golden rule yesterday, do unto others as you would have them do unto you.
11: Last night I started to think about this. And uh, this morning I woke up and I said my prayers, as I always do.
1: And I decided, you know, today's the day I'm going to do this. As simple as that.
10: Boehner says he had been planning all along to announce on his 66th birthday in November that he'd be leaving by the end of this year. But mounting unrest among conservatives threatening to vote him out of the speakership accelerated his timing.
11: And listen, it was never about the vote, all right? There was no doubt about whether I could survive a vote. I don't want my members to have to go through this. I certainly don't want the institution to go through this. And so, especially when, you know, I knew I was, I was, Thinking about walking out the door anyway. So it's the right time to do it. And frankly, I am entirely comfortable
10: doing it. Did you get that? He's entirely
1: comfortable.
10: Boehner surprised even his top lieutenants, who found out just minutes before he announced to the stunned House Republicans. One of them is Paul Ryan of Wisconsin. I was shocked that he did it. I'll just say this is an act of pure selflessness. He put others uh, over himself. Ryan has already said he doesn't want Boehner's job. It is often a thankless one, but in it, Boehner ushered in the largest Republican majority in the House since the 1920s. Tom Cole of Oklahoma says he deserves gratitude from fellow Republicans.
12: We were roadkill in 2009. For him to bring us back in the majority, sustain it through a re-election of a Democratic president, uh, and to be as effective as he's been legislatively,
11: uh, I think it's extraordinary.
10: But extraordinary is not how many House conservatives would describe Boehner. What has happened here is that our republic was subverted because the Speaker abused his power. Thomas Massey of Kentucky. He took everybody's voting card. Look, when you, when you get here, the deal is you never vote against the speaker or
11: you'll lose your committee assignment, you'll lose your subcommittee chairmanship. This is, this is a condition of his own making right here.
10: It's not just that he punishes conservatives, they say. He's too cozy with Democrats relying on their votes over and over again when it came to the fiscal cliff, the debt ceiling, funding the Department of Homeland Security. John Fleming of Louisiana says Republicans like him felt shut out.
1: Conservatives, uh, core conservatives feel like that we have little if, if no voice, and yet we make up a substantial part of the, of the conference. So uh, we
11: want to see balance. We want to make sure that our voices are heard as well.
10: But that's the tricky thing about picking a leader. Republican Steve Womack of Arkansas says no person can magically wipe away the fissures that divide a fractious caucus.
13: I just think you can change the names, you can change the faces in leadership, and the pressures are going to remain the same. The issues are still there. The difference of opinion among the conference. Remains and while Republicans figure out next
10: steps, Democrats like Leader Nancy Pelosi wonder who they're going to be doing battle with next. Some would say part has been hijacked by a fringe element in the House Republican
4: Party, and we're seeing evidence of that now.
10: Boehner says he would support Kevin McCarthy, the current Majority Leader, to be the next Speaker, and other candidates may be stepping forward in the coming days. Meanwhile, many Republicans say Boehner's news makes the chances of a government shutdown next week much lower. Elsa Chang, NPR News, The Capitol.
14: Beating Ben-Wahad. Who beats up a 71-year-old man? That question flashed in my mind when I heard about the vicious attack on former Black Panther Deruba Ben-Wahad during a speech before members of the new Black Panther Party, NBPP, in Atlanta. While what sparked the attack may be unclear, the results aren't. Ben-Wahad, a lifelong revolutionary who has spent decades in the Black Liberation Movement, was beaten unconscious by NBPP members, his jaw broken in several places. He wasn't hit or just punched, he was pummeled, kicked, stomped, and repeatedly assaulted. Who beats up a 71-year-old man? Who beats up a 71-year-old veteran of the Black Freedom Movement? A former member of the famed New York Panther 21. Who does that? Apparently, the new Black Panther Party does. The new BPP is not to be confused with the original BPP, as the beating of Ben Wahed demonstrates. According to a letter circulated on the internet quoting Malik Zulu Shabazz, leader of the NBPP until 2014, Ben Wahed threatened him. According to that document, that threat didn't happen at this meeting but is alleged to have happened before, some time before. It may have been some dispute as to speaking times, but that hardly justifies the attack on Ben-Wahad, who long has been known for his outspokenness. Ben-Wahad, since the days of his youth, has been a revolutionary, and he endured almost 20 years in New York dungeons before proving, using FBI documents, the injustice of his trial and conviction. When he left prison, he continued to struggle, writing, organizing, campaigning, struggling for black freedom. One could always count on him for sharp analysis and principled resistance to the system's relentless attacks on black life, years before the Black Lives Matter movement emerged. That he should have to endure such an attack from the NVPP proves that, for some, black lives don't matter much, not when you can... A 71 year old man, unconscious. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal.
11: So, in Boston, uh, we had a run in uh, with the cops and and a woman on a bus uh, at Dudley Square. They were going to arrest her for theft. Now, in the video, you can't quite see the theft, um, but certainly could have happened. The woman definitely was not cooperating with the police, as you'll see in the video for yourself in a little bit. Uh, BUT WHAT HAPPENED NEXT WAS THE REALLY INTERESTING PART. SO FIRST OFF, uh, THE WITNESSES ARE REACTING TO WHAT'S HAPPENING. BEFORE I SHOW YOU THE VIDEO, LET ME GIVE YOU A DESCRIPTION FROM RAW'S STORY. THEY SAY, WITNESSES CAN BE HEARD AT THE BEGINNING OF THE VIDEO TELLING THE WOMAN TO CHILL OUT. OKAY, THAT'S uh, PROBABLY SENSIBLE, YOU'RE GOING AGAINST A a COP, Uh, YOU DON'T WANT TO FREAK OUT HERE. Um, BUT THEN THE COP PULLS HIS GUN. SO THEN AT THAT POINT THE OFFICER DRAWS HIS WEAPON AND MOVES TOWARDS THE CROWD. He then turns back to the woman with his gun still off. A man could be heard saying, Drop the gun, chill, it's not that serious. So I like that because now that, then the crowd turns and they're telling the cop to chill. Here's what they're in favor of on that bus in Boston for everybody to chill out, right? So after a few seconds, uh, during which another man yells, Drop the fucking gun, the officer puts his weapon back in the holster, which you'll see in the video in a second. And then. And the last uh, part of the description here: the woman then swings at the officer again, which is a little hard to see in the video, prompting the crowd to tell her to calm down. This is only the most reasonable crowd in America. So, (laughs) whichever side's getting too excited, like they're telling them, "Don't hit the cop! Don't do that! Chill, chill, chill!" Whoa! whoa, whoa, Don't shoot her! Don't shoot her! Don't shoot! Okay, good. He put the gun away. Don't swing at the cop. Right now, you're going to see it here. It's of course a little bit more animated than that. But it looks like the crowd got the cop to put his gun back into its holster, which is phenomenal. Watch. Stop!
15: Oh oh
1: oh oh Stop! The gun, Yo, drop, gun. Gun. drop yeah. the gun, bro. Dude, drop the gun, drop drop the gun, 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 drop
8: the She's not the gun, drop going gun, drop the the She's not going
1: the down. the gun down.
16: Man, I love what
11: they did there. Uh, they de-escalated the situation for the cop. Now, you can't see what she did in the first place in the video to get this whole thing started. And at different times, what she does, and in the beginning, what he does is unclear. But it is clear that at one point, she swings at him. Right, now, uh, look, that, that put your life in danger. Uh, and he keeps looking back at the crowd. He clearly hears them, and then eventually does put the gun away. And the crowd was right. She's not going anywhere. You, you, there's, I know you're super mad that she's swinging at you. I get that. But don't shoot her. Don't shoot her. Chill. Okay. Your backup's going to come. She can't leave. YOU'RE GOING TO SUBDUE HER EVENTUALLY, YOU'RE GOING TO ARREST HER, EVERYBODY'S GOING TO BE FINE, PLEASE JUST DON'T SHOOT ANYBODY. Uh, YOU KNOW WHAT THAT CROWD WAS? THAT WAS AN AMERICAN CROWD. THEY DID A GREAT JOB THERE OF TRYING TO GET BOTH SIDES TO BE CALMER. THANK GOD THAT THEY WERE THERE ON THE SCENE. SCORE ONE FOR uh, AMERICANS, (laughs) GREAT JOB BY THE CITIZENS OF BOSTON to de-escalate that situation. Super proud of them. The Movement for
14: Justice Against Police Violence, published by City Lights, an open media series. What makes a movement a movement? What social forces come together to make it cohere, to build it into something that can stand in the world like a newborn thing, able to drop, rise on unsteady legs, breathe deeply, and then run its course? Consider this. There has never been a time since the founding of this government that there has not been a movement, but like any other thing in life, it has been weak or strong, in ebb or flow, depending on the social conditions it faced. We live in an era where the very notion of a movement seems strange or oddly out of time. That is so because over the last half century, the state has worked hard to disappear the memory of the movements of the sixties, or for that matter, any other time in U.S. history. It has utilized the media, the academy, and public schools to present a false, misleading historical narrative, to confuse people so that they could not see how movements grow, interact, swell, and finally present such positions into the public square that they cannot be refused. Thanks to movement scholars, we know of the deep hatred and venomous methods employed against the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., a man who was pressured by the U.S. government to kill himself. His greatest enemy was his own government, as personified by the director of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover. Hoover, an unabashed racist, used his powers to try to destroy any movement which questioned the status quo, but he reserved his most deadly assaults for members of the black freedom movements. That was his historical role and function. This may be perhaps best seen in the program codenamed COINTELPRO, code speak for the counterintelligence program operated for decades by the FBI, which attacked black leaders from ML King to Dr. Huey P. Newton of the Black Panthers. All were treated in the words of one high-ranking FBI official, William Sullivan, Assistant Director FBI, speaking to staffers of the U.S. Senate Committee investigating COINTELPRO as enemies of the state, indeed, as if they were foreigners in the land of their birth. He said, this is a common practice, rough, tough, dirty business. To repeat, it is a rough, tough, dirty business and dangerous. No holds were barred. We have used that technique against foreign espionage agents, and they have used it against us. Question. The same methods were brought here? Answer. Yes brought home against any organization against which we were targeting. We did not differentiate. This is a rough, tough business. That's from a U.S. Senate report known as hearings before the select committee to study governmental operations with respect to intelligence operations. It was published in 1976, Volume 6. Nor should we forget how the FBI viewed M.L. King again Sullivan we regard martin luther king as the most dangerous negro leader in the country unquote why is this important to us now at the womb of what may be another emergent social movement it is vital for it teaches young activists and revolutionaries in the making that this is the real essential nature of the state it opposes any social force that seeks to change it to make it more democratic that threatens to establish popular power over the conservative, jealous powers of the state. If you try to begin a social movement and fail to understand that central history, you will run into a buzzsaw that will leave you in pieces. This is an excerpt from the booklet, The Movement for Justice Against Police Violence, published by City Lights and Open Media, San Francisco. And this is the author, Mumia Abu Jamal.
17: The woman in Dearborn, Michigan has received a $40,000 settlement after she was pulled over by a police official and given a ticket because she has AIDS, or I should say HIV. Sorry about that. So um, the woman here is Shalandra Jones. And according to uh, reports, during a routine traffic stop, the police officer, David Lacey, discovered medical marijuana in the woman's car along with an expired medical marijuana card. He then berated Miss Jones when she finally told him that she was HIV positive. According to the Independent and also the Detroit Free Press, the officer said that he did not want to take any diseases home to his family and that Dearborn does not have that many people living with HIV and the police do not like people with HIV. Also, he said, honestly, if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have wrote anybody for anything, meaning the ticket, But that kind of really aggravated me. You know what I mean? You got to tell me right away because at the time I wasn't wearing any gloves. So, this officer obviously shows his insane ignorance when it comes to something like HIV. You're not going to get HIV by writing someone a ticket or by simply talking to them. And also, that stigma is so freaking pathetic, right? Because, first of all, I know what it is. He's probably thinking, oh, she's. She's promiscuous, or she probably did something to get this. You don't know how she got it. And even if she was promiscuous, to treat someone with HIV like she's a piece of shit, which is what he did, is not okay in any circumstance. He should be fired, but he hasn't been suspended or reprimanded in any way at all.
11: So it goes to the same theme, actually, as a lot of the police abuse stories that we cover, which is the cops don't want to take any chances with their well being. No chances whatsoever. So that's why sometimes you'll see them like, I, I know a, a personal story. A friend of mine uh, got punched by a homeless guy, right? Now you'd think that's when they'd spring into action, right They're like, let's go get him, right?" No, they don't want to get dirty. So they told my friend, like, "Oh, I didn't see it. If I didn't see it, then it doesn't, it's, it'll be hard to prosecute. So just mm-hmm. walk it off. <laughs> OK. SO, and, AND THEY THINK, I DON'T KNOW, THAT GUY COULD HAVE A NEEDLE SOMEWHERE, ET CETERA. NOW ON THE OTHER HAND, oh OKAY, I DIDN'T SEE A GUN, BUT I, YOU WERE COMING TOWARDS ME, SO I SHOT YOU. RIGHT? IT'S THE SAME IDEA. Here. like, OH, MY GOD, IT'S SOMEBODY I GOT TO DEAL WITH, OH, THEY GOT HIV. Just, THE PEOPLE I OCCUPY, THEY'RE SUCH A PAIN IN MY ASS, RIGHT? Mm-hmm. AND THEY PUT ME IN DANGER, AND THAT'S THE NUMBER ONE THING YOU CAN'T DO. YOU CAN'T DISRESPECT THE POLICE, AND uh, YOU CAN'T PUT THEM IN ANY KIND OF DANGER FOR THEIR WELL-BEING AT ALL that's when they'll come to get you. And he says it here, I would have let you go otherwise, but you know, you're represented, you know, a tiny tiny uh, possibility that you might affect my well-being.
17: So you have a life-threatening illness and as a result I'm going to write you up. Right? Let me add insult to injury. And by the way, let can we just Have a federal law that legalizes marijuana so we can stop putting people in situations like this. She didn't need to disclose anything, okay? Mm -hmm. She had no reason to disclose anything to this cop, but the cop finds the marijuana. She had a license for it, but the license had expired. And so she felt the need to tell him what her condition is so he could understand why she had the marijuana. I don't care if she had the marijuana because she likes to smoke it recreationally. As long as she's not high while she's driving, I'm totally fine with that. We need to finally pass a federal law. LEGALIZING MARIJUANA FOR RECREATIONAL USE AND JUST BE DONE WITH IT. THIS IS SUCH A CRAZY STORY. I FEEL TERRIBLE FOR THIS WOMAN.
11: AND LASTLY, um, SEE, THE ATTITUDE IS NOT LIKE, OH, MY GOD, YOU HAVE HIV, ARE YOU OKAY? BECAUSE I'M CONCERNED ABOUT YOU AS ANOTHER HUMAN BEING. THE ATTITUDE IS, YOUR LIFE DOESN'T MATTER TO ME AT ALL. YOU got HIV, THAT'S YOUR PROBLEM, NOT MY PROBLEM. THE MINUTE YOU MAKE IT A 1% LIKELIHOOD THAT IT'S MY PROBLEM, THAT'S WHEN I'M GOING TO COME DOWN ON YOU.
17: And THESE ARE THE PEOPLE THAT ARE SUPPOSED TO BE KEEPING US SAFE. Right.
1: They seem to care so
11: much about the community they're serving.
1: <laughs> Who told you to walk on my side of the block? Who told you to be in my neighborhood? I own this brownstone. <laughs> Who told you to buy a brownstone on my block in my neighborhood on my side of the street? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what you want to live in a black neighborhood for anyway, man? Motherfuck gentrification. Well,
3: fuck <laughs> As your I understand wife. it, this is a free country. Man can live wherever he oh, wants. Free country. Man, I should oh fuck you for saying that stupid shit
9: alone. the PGA Tour stops in Atlanta this week. Top golfers like Roy McElroy and Bubba Watson will compete for the FedEx Cup. The course itself, the East Lake Golf Club, is in the middle of a neighborhood that was once known for poverty, crime, and a troubled public housing project the the golf club has actually played a big role in redevelopment in the neighborhood and the area has avoided some of the usual problems with gentrification for NPR's code switch team LEU of Member Station WABE has the story
17: Welcome,
18: It's Friday night and residents enjoy dinner and music at a festival out on the soccer field here in Eastlake. It's part of Atlanta, about five miles from downtown. On stage, resident Akua Taylor pumps up the crowd and points out familiar faces. Taylor, a musician, moved here in 2013, but says she knows the area is very different from what it was like 20 years ago. Back then, there was so much violent crime, it was known as Little Vietnam, a war zone. It's
3: uh, been turned completely around, still benefiting the people that were here prior to the gentrification. Up until 1995,
18: it was home to the East Lake Meadows, a 650-unit public housing complex. The crime rate was 18 times higher than the national average.
15: Had I been born there... I'd maybe be in jail somewhere also.
18: That's real estate developer Tom Cousins. He's the man behind some of Atlanta's most prominent buildings. And when the city began tearing down public housing in the 90s, he says he wanted to try something different with Eastlake.
15: We're going to focus our money and our time in this one terribly deprived neighborhood and see if we could make a difference.
18: The model was this create mixed income housing but pair it with quality schools and services like job counseling and childcare to help existing residents a nonprofit the East Lake Foundation would lead the way Eastlake led cousins and other investors like Warren Buffett to create a nonprofit consulting group called Purpose-Built Communities to take the idea national. But the model in Atlanta needed a sustainable revenue stream. A lot of that came from the Eastlake Golf Club, which helps fund the foundation's programs.
12: Hey, just me. Good to see you. It's not just you. <laughs> <laughs> I set myself up for that
18: one, huh? Danny Joy leads the Eastlake Foundation. He and I enter the course through a security gate. This used to be a neglected landscape of dry patches, where golfers risk the occasional stray bullet. This week, it's a PGA Tour stop. Choi says Eastlake upends the typical storyline of housing prices going up and low-income people being forced out. He says the intent was to keep residents from being displaced.
1: The people who live there have the opportunity
0: to remain there, and they're not pushed out.
18: A truck sprays sand into a bunker on the course. Corporate membership is $125,000. And there's a suggested donation of $200,000 to the Eastlake Foundation, which means not everyone can play here. The club does fund things like a youth mentorship program over at the Nine Hole Public Course. But resident Orlando Geiger, who's sitting at a park just across from the course, says it doesn't feel like it's a place for him.
12: Just a country club. That's all it is, a country club.
18: Choi says he understands some residents push back at Eastlake's transformation, but he argues the aim of the redevelopment was to change the character of the neighborhood.
12: We are very intentional and unabashed about the fact that the Eastlake model is disruptive.
18: When Eastlake Meadows public housing was torn down, residents were offered the chance to return to the new community, but they had to meet some requirements. No felony record, and they had to be either employed or in training. The Atlanta Housing Authority says about 13 percent of families weren't allowed back. In the end, only about a quarter of their residents returned.
19: From a sort of critical perspective, they're only taking residents back. They're taking the best of the best. Deidre
18: Oakley teaches sociology at Georgia State University. She says the Eastlake model has shown success, violent crimes down 95 percent from two decades ago but oakley says the success has benefited only a small group of people marilyn hack was one of them she moved here 15 years ago when she was a single mother of three and says she needed affordability as she finished going to school
2: i didn't have to like really worry what I really wanted was a stability and someplace safe. And that's what I found here.
18: Hack says she thinks this can work elsewhere too, even if there isn't a fancy golf course to provide support. So far, the group Purpose Built Communities has taken the approach to 11 other neighborhoods across the country, from New Orleans to Omaha. For NPR News, I'm Ellie U in Atlanta.
20: As
1: your body
10: grows in, your mind will It's great to learn.
21: I want to do do an update on the story we covered last week about the 14-year-old boy in Texas who, Hmm. uh, they said, invented a clock. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, a little update on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, His parents took him out of school, uh, and he's just doing TV now, and he's on, like, a a Hmm. tour. And look, I'm not anti this kid. I hope this kid has a wonderful life and does great things, but... The mostly liberals, you'll like this, Mm -hmm. who have glommed on to him as a mascot are ninnies. Mm -hmm. uh, Because somebody showed that he did not invent anything. Show the tape of somebody that this was on the internet. It took 20 seconds for somebody to do what this kid did. He didn't invent a clock. He took the guts out of a clock radio that he bought in the store and put it in a pencil box. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay? this. This is like pouring Cheerios into a bowl and saying you invented cereal. This <laughs> and then made it look like a bomb. <laughs> and made it look like a bomb. Yeah. No, and he's like saying the kid's Thomas Edison, but did he deserve to be arrested? No, That's that not the, the point? point. That's not what we did that last week. Okay. That's not the point. Uh, no, he was <laughs> he didn't, deserve to be ar- didn't deserve to be arrested, Okay. but they did absolutely do the right thing thinking that it could be a bomb. I thought we had zero tolerance for no safety in the school. If you can
19: get expelled for drawing a picture of a gun, I think you can be
21: detained well, so for bringing something that looks like a bomb to school. But it didn't look like a bomb, it looked like a clock. It what? looked exactly what? like oh, a bomb! I you not see die-hard movies. that was exactly like a bomb! So here's the thing about bombs, right? They have the little timer that's the clock that's part, it. and then those wires that come out, it. they're attached to fissile material that explodes. Okay. That's that was the you that know was a missing element in this bar The thing that blows up. <laughs> Nothing I, blew up. I don't notice no. all that when I see that from the you, metal there. You see a clock. You know what, Ron, try to take that to airport security tomorrow. I think you it's a could, clock. It's it's a clock. It's a clock only because we were told it was a clock. It's and a by the clock. way, it's only the guts of a clock. mm mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> show the tape from good morning america here he is this week on good morning america
7: do you have something with you can we see it it's the motherboard of the entire media player have you
21: always been fascinated with things like that and doing things like that Ahmed?
22: this isn't my first invention and it won't be my last invention
21: it's not an invention! Again, <laughs> he took the back out of something! And let me just say, Google invited him to their science fair where a 15-year-old invented an automated method for finding and characterizing gravitationally-lensed quasars, <laughs> yeah. and a 16-year-old invented an inexpensive test for the Ebola virus. Mm-hmm. Well, he's only 14. Yeah. So. He's only
9: 14. <laughs>
21: Next I made a bong out of an apple.
1: <laughs> Teachers like to know what students aspire to so that they can either cultivate them toward that noble objective or crush them so that they never reach it. I'll let you decide which they have done.
23: The Seattle School District will stop kicking elementary students out of school for misbehaving in some nonviolent ways. The school board says the one-year moratorium will start this year. Board member Hariam Martin-Morris told KOW's Bill Radke which offenses will no longer merit an out-of-school suspension.
16: There is uh, one called disobedience. There's another called failure to follow rules. And the third one, I believe, is defiance.
13: All those things sound like stuff I don't want in my kid's school. Why are you no longer (laughs) um, suspending uh, students out of school for that?
16: Well, so there are a couple of reasons. One is those items are fairly subjective. You know, what may be defiance to one person may not be to another. So it's very hard for adults to look at this and say, that action is defiance, where another adult will say, no, that's fine. And so part of it is the subjectivity and how it's applied. You know, the fact is that we have children of color, English language learners, special ed students that are disproportionately having those types of things applied to them.
13: And what effect does that have on a child to be suspended out of school?
16: Well, first, there's the loss of teaching time, which, you know, once a student is not in the classroom, making up that work is incredibly difficult. So in a lot of times, these are the very students that are already behind. So now they become even further behind. Part two of that is students that do get suspended in elementary school, are more likely to be suspended in middle school and more likely to be suspended in high school if they get suspended in middle school and at that point we have just fed you know the school to prison pipeline so my goal is to basically break the cycle at the elementary school level so not to feed that pipeline
13: what kind of biases do you think are baked into educators subjective judgments on which kids get suspended
16: Uh, I think there are cultural biases as well as racial biases, to be perfectly frank. The fact that African-American boys are suspended at a rate of about four times higher than their white counterparts.
13: And how do you know to blame that on racism and and not just uh, more acting out by young African-American boys?
16: then that that becomes a cultural problem then, doesn't it? The fact that you're saying that African-American boys act up more than white, I I find that very difficult to believe.
13: So I'm a Seattle school principal. A student is consistently acting out, disrupting the classroom, disobeying the teachers. I can't suspend the student out of school anymore. What can I do instead?
16: So... One of the things that needs to be clear is you don't get suspended for a single offense. Even under the old rules, there were steps that had to be followed. Now we're saying, no, we want you to work harder at that. So part of this is to give the principals and the teachers and the staff the tools and supports they need so that we don't get to that level of suspension. Because many of the times that those suspensions happen, I believe that they are miscommunication, misunderstandings. And so we try to figure out ways to de-escalate those things so that we don't get to the point of suspension.
13: Why is this issue so important to you personally?
16: Um, One of the things that resonates with me is last year we had 61 kindergarteners suspended from school. As a former kindergarten teacher, I know how critical that first year, the second year are to students. And if I'm not able to be in front of them, teaching them, helping them and helping them grow, they will never, ever catch up. And, you know, the fact that I look at the disproportionality, especially around kids of color and poor children that this is applied to, I have to do something about it.
23: Hariam Martin-Morris is a director on the Seattle School Board. The district is putting a one-year moratorium on out-of-school suspensions for certain nonviolent offenses. Why haven't you learned anything? The second-year graduate student says her signs were urban installation artwork, where students were instructed to create a piece about time. Paul says she selected the 1965 style postings, as a way to begin a conversation about what's happening with racism today. Why did you post those signs? What those
24: signs are meant to do was to implicate white privilege. Although those signs physically don't exist today in 2015, the systemic structures and institutional racism that they reinforce still do very actively exist. And I think because of the absence of those signs and because we don't feel the immediacy of crushing racism, many people become compliant with this comfortable system. Many people begin to forget that racism is still something that affects everyone's day-to-day life. So those signs were meant to remind people not to forget about these systems. Although you're comfortable for today, racism can very harshly affect your life tomorrow. And you can end up in the news like so many other people Of color and non-white people have ended up in the news. It was meant to implicate white privilege. I think one of the can I can I stop you for a
23: second? What what is to you? What is white privilege?
24: So white privilege is defined as skin color that benefits a certain group of people um, in society, systemically, structurally, institutionally. So it's basically talking about how white people are born into certain privileges that non-white people do not have non-white people are born into privileges, privileges where they won't have to worry about um police harassment in the same way non-white people do my professor views my art project as very successful he was very interested when i first ran the prompt through the class that i'm in and he views it as very successful my professor does not believe in censorship of art at
23: all. So he knew that those signs were going up?
24: Yes, of course he did. This is a class where we're learning how to articulate in the installation of urban space. So he naturally knew what the prompt for my project was, as he knew the prompt for everybody's project in that class. But he does not believe in censorship of art. And I believe that if I told him that I wanted to make a piece about race and he said no, then all of the criticism would be that I wouldn't be allowed to talk about racism in an institutional setting. I think that the criticism would completely flip to the other side.
23: Were you surprised that it was such a deep reaction from both African-Americans and whites?
24: I'm surprised and I'm not surprised. I was very happy. I saw that as definitely a success. The things that I'm not surprised at is all of the hatred that I'm receiving from many people who are white in America. I'm receiving a lot of support, but I'm also receiving a lot of hatred because racism is a taboo subject to talk about. And to call out, to go out and specifically say that I am calling out and implicating white people and white privilege, that's something that's very taboo and unaccepted. What the most interesting thing is, is that I've been getting the most support from the older generation of non-white people for the people who did actually live through those signs.
23: You aren't apologizing for putting up the project, why?
24: I'm not apologizing at all. I understand and I apologize if I deeply did cause some non-white people and white people um, trauma that day, but I will not apologize for my actions at all. The other reason why I will not apologize is because if it hadn't been for these signs, we wouldn't be having this very needed, overdue discussion about racism at this magnitude that we're having it. There's no reason to apologize to get people talking and thinking about racism in a way that they wouldn't have before.
23: Have you experienced racism yourself? And if you can, describe examples?
24: Yes, I've definitely experienced racism myself. And my statement that I spoke on, um, a couple racial slurs that I can call. Um, that in itself is very traumatizing and instills a lot of pain in me, but beyond just racial slurries, there's other ways that racism has caused me great pain in my life. It's literally through the way that we're treated, through the way that we're addressed, through the way that we're spoken to, through the way that we looked at, and the way that we end up feeling about ourselves. You know, I'm, I'm here on a very gracious, um, fellowship and many people tell me it's because I'm
7: black.
23: Well, Ashley Powell, art student at the University of Buffalo, thank you so much for speaking with us about your very controversial art project.
7: Thank you so much. So how's the college responding to this incident?
2: We're having a a race forum. And what's that? A forum on race. So we can discuss the incident and the surrounding issues of race.
14: So the usual, lip service?
2: Uh, No comment.
4: Buzz on social media and absurd anger among some parents. KTPS 3's Alana Quillen explains.
25: Adrian Burton is one of several outraged parents of the Southwood High School band, demanding answers and apologies. We were
3: just appalled by it. The students were terrified.
25: Band students have a tradition of visiting the other side of the stadium for a meet and greet with the rival band. Everything was fine Friday night until Burton says the Benton Spirit Squad sitting nearby started taunting Southwood students.
3: Some of the parents and Spirit Squad of the Benton High School decided to shall we say name-call, they called them out of their name, name. they called them the N-word, they threw water on them, they physically touched some of the students, Um, they booed them and asked them to leave.
25: After it happened, Southwood parents walked to the other side of the stadium to figure out what happened.
3: We did speak with the principal and they were saying that they didn't understand what had happened or what was going on. And it wasn't the band students and it wasn't the band director. They were wonderful, as always. There were just other students and parents that were in the area. Um, that decided that this was the best way to act.
1: Why do we have to be um, hateful? Why do we have to treat, especially kids in high school? And we're trying to teach them to love everybody.
25: We reached out to parents and officials at Benton High School, but have not heard back as of news time. However, a rep for Bozier Parish School says an investigation is underway.
3: We want to write letters, we want the school board to know exactly what happened, and we want them to know at least a public apology.
25: Alana Quillen, KTBS 3 News. The Bossier Parish School District released this
4: statement. Quote, the principal immediately began interviewing nearly a dozen students and adults in the stands regarding the alleged incident, and his investigation will continue tomorrow. If any inappropriate remarks or actions are found to have been made, they will most certainly be addressed. Bossier Schools wants all of its visitors to feel welcome, be met with good sportsmanship, both on the field and in the stands, and have an enjoyable experience.
8: I'm not sure anymore
15: Just how it happened before The places that I knew Was sunny and blue I can feel it deep inside This black nigger's pride I have no fear when I say And I say it every day Every nigger is a star Every nigger is a star Who will deny that you and I and every nigger is a star. Well,
25: Jen, parents are furious after they say a teacher returned to the classroom a day after possibly yelling a racial slur. It all allegedly happened at Countryside High School in Clearwater yesterday. Only 10 News, Jonathan Petramala is talking with students and parents tonight who are waiting for something to be done.
0: 10th grader Shamaya Baldwin took what she says a teacher told her liberal arts math class at Countryside High yesterday to heart, which is where she pinned this paper with the n written on it as she walked back into class today.
3: And I wrote
2: on it, and I said, since you want to call me and don't address me as my name, address me as nigger.
0: Baldwin was kicked out of class by the same teacher she and other students say said the slur during a
2: group work session yesterday.
3: And I guess it was getting too loud, so... She was just like, oh, be quiet, you n-. I
2: looked around the class and I was like, did she really just call me a n****?"
20: She was just denying it. like, oh, I didn't say that. And today she was like, oh, I didn't say that. I said Nikki.
0: 10 News has learned several complaints have been filed and the district has opened an investigation into the allegations. Meanwhile, the math teacher is still working and that isn't an adding up for some of the parents.
12: Clearly, you know, she's just taking her off the floor, not let her work, figure out what's going on. That way, students and parents can have some
1: confidence that there is some some integrity being upheld. Right now, it's a case of he said, she said. The district says they will
0: question the students and try and figure out if the teacher did say Nikki or the N-word in Clearwater. Jonathan Petramala, 10 news. Black babies
3: cost less.
0: We
4: are going to spend the next few minutes revisiting a case that shocked the nation in the early days of the civil rights movement 60 years ago this week. An all-white jury in Sumner, Mississippi acquitted two white men in the murder of Emmett Till. He was a 14-year-old black boy visiting Mississippi from Chicago. The men later confessed to killing Emmett Till for whistling at a white woman. The case brought attention to the brutal treatment of African-Americans in the Deep South and the failure of the U.S. justice system. NPR's Debbie Elliott has that story.
8: Sumner is a town of about 400 people that sprouts up amid vast expanses of cotton land in the Mississippi Delta, the fertile northwest corner of the state. Sumner's town square looks a lot like it did 60 years ago. The bank on the corner, law offices, and small businesses surround the Tallahatchie County Courthouse, its clock tower looming above pink crepe myrtle blossoms. Inside the courthouse, a dark wood stairwell leads to the second floor courtroom, newly restored. Exactly the way it looked in 1955. That's Patrick Weems, director of the Emmett Till Interpretive Center here. He stands by the carved banister rail at the front of the courtroom. Twelve swiveling jury chairs to the left face the witness box. Moe's right would have stood up here and given his testimony. And the famous question was, he said, do you know the men who, who murdered Emmett Till? And he said, there they are. It was a dramatic moment. Never in anyone's memory had a black man in Mississippi confronted whites in court. Moserite was Emmett Till's great uncle who lived in the town of Money. Till was staying with him when the teenager made his fateful visit to Bryant's grocery and spoke to the white woman at the counter. Her husband, Roy Bryant, and J.W. Milam later kidnapped Till from Moe's Wright's home in the middle of the night. The boy was beaten, shot in the head, and dumped in the Tallahatchie River, weighted down by a cotton gin fan. Till's mother held an open casket funeral back in Chicago so the world could witness the disturbing images of her son's disfigured body. The resulting outrage drew unprecedented interest in the murder trial a month later. Mississippi State Senator David Jordan was a college student at the time.
1: I had never seen anything like it because of so many people in town, so much news, and uh, so much fear. All of that was together.
8: Jordan and some classmates came to the trial, barely finding a seat in the packed courtroom. They sat in the rear. The front seats were reserved for white people. Sitting in the back row, where he did 60 years ago, Jordan recalls being struck by the relaxed nature of the defendants. During one recess, he says, one of their wives brought bottles of Coca-Cola and the children to play at the defense table.
1: They're just going through a mockery. It was no justice or no seriousness, as I could see, on their faces because they all were laughing. Even the jury were laughing. So that hurt me. I expected this to be as serious to them as it was to me.
8: After a five-day trial, they were acquitted. Jordan says it was no coincidence that the verdict came a year after the Supreme Court's landmark Brown decision outlawing segregated public schools.
1: The state was set at a point, it had been said over and over, before niggers could go to school with white children, blood would run in the streets. And this was evidence in their mind, I assume, that This is an example that the world can see that we mean business.
19: Mississippi in 1955 was just impossible for a situation like this. Betty Pearson was 33 at the
8: time, the wife of a white plantation owner. She and Senator Jordan are among the last living people who attended the Emmett Till murder trial.
19: It was not a very um, happy week for us. It was hot as the very hinges in the first place. It must have been well over 100 degrees in that courtroom. She says stores throughout the Mississippi Delta
8: had set in mason jars by their cash registers to raise money for the defense, and all of the lawyers in Sumner were representing Bryant and Milam. It
19: infuriated her. To me, it said that okay, every white person in Tallahatchie County, not in all of Mississippi, is a racist, and they are trying to defend these people. And I knew that was not true. Pearson, now 93, says after the trial, she was stunned by the silence. I never got one question from a single soul in Sumnum. Their reaction to it was, if we just ignore it, it'll go away. The courthouse
8: was remodeled in the 70s, and up until about 10 years ago, very little was said about what transpired here. In 2007, Pearson joined a local biracial group that apologized to Till's family. The Reverend Willie Williams says in the years since, they've been working to restore the courthouse and foster reconciliation.
1: Some people look at the word reconciliation, okay, we've been reconciled, now everything is fine. No. Reconciliation is the bridge, but the restoration of that is the work that have to take place to restore trust.
8: But others believe the Till trial has been a stigma on Sumner that it didn't deserve. Till was murdered in another county, but his body was discovered in Tallahatchie. John Whitten III practices law in Sumner. We didn't do it. It didn't happen here. This is something that was... Dragged in and left a rot in our courthouse. His late father was chief counsel for the defense in 1955.
1: It's a long time ago. I think it's part
8: of history. I don't think it should be denied. I don't think it should be honored. Confronting a fraught history has been an ongoing struggle in Mississippi. The state has created a historical trail to show how events, including the Till case, sparked the modern civil rights movement. There's a marker here along the banks of the Tallahatchie where Till's body was pulled from the river. Today, the sign is riddled with bullet holes. Debbie Elliott, NPR News, The Mississippi Delta.
12: context of white supremacy signs still riddled with bullet holes doesn't get any better than tacky gusty renegade in for another broadcast hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy today's date saturday September 26th 2015 so I have been told uh, compensatory call in looking forward to hearing views thoughts reflections uh, from non-white folks listen to the program uh, feel free to chime in we'll get to workplace racism down the road uh, looking forward to hearing your uh, thoughts on not only the news clip clips other observations of other things happen during the week that you would like to share feel free to chime in the number to dial is six four one seven one five three six four zero. The code is five six four nine four three pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. That number one more time six four one seven one five three six four zero the code is five six four nine four three pound press star six if you would like to participate right on uh, before we get to the folks, number one, invest if you think the program is constructive. Racism-Notes.Blogspot.com hyphen Racism-Notes.Blogspot.com Listener-supported, counter-racist radio. PayPal button is in the top right corner. If you are not into PayPal feel free to send an email. We will get you a physical mailing address. Thanks again to all the folks who have invested down through the years. I hope the program has been, continues to be worthy of your time and energy. Uh, If you're not getting constructive information, this is not helping you to get clarity about what it means to be white, uh, what racism is, how it works, and things that black people, non-white people in total can do to immediately work against the system of white terrorism then find something better to do with your time we have too many problems to be wasting time uh with nonsense that's not giving out constructive information Uh, a couple uh pointers that i will uh get to um just again (laughs) bullet holes in the sign and that's that's common i think lennon lacy uh black male people don't even talk about him anymore black male that was found uh hanging likely lynched in North Carolina last summer, right after the shooting of Michael Brown and a lot of other things that, that took place. Uh, John Crawford the third shooting as well. Um, he was buried and then it looked like some tacky trifling racists came and defiled his, gravesite after his death. And I mean, of course, tragically, the parallels with Emmett Till, uh, them saying that uh, he allegedly was in some sort of tragic arrangement, uh, being sexually raped by some white woman who was in her 30s. He was only a teenager, so I mean, this is not even close to, you know, this is a, a equal or balanced pairing. This is just totally a white woman raping this young uh, teen, uh, Lennon Lacey, Lennon Lacy, uh, and it was speculated that that might have contributed to his death. Still no justice there either. Moving forward, reminding me uh Anthea Butler Anthea Butler, she's the black female. She was uh not the first clip, it was two different clips that was talking about racism, uh black people and uh Catholicism, the Pope, his visit this week. Uh Anthea Butler She did the second uh, segment, I think she also said that she was Catholic, where she was talking about the history of racism and black people and how things have changed in this area of the world, what black people were hoping the Pope might or might not say. I didn't hear any reports where he said anything about racism, so folks were hoping for that. They were disappointed. Uh, But it reminded me, she, I think, got a lot of criticism, I think, in 2013, right after the killer of Trayvon Martin was acquitted, she was on a panel. She was giving her views about why wow, this transpired. She was speaking pretty honestly, and she said in this country, uh the God is white supremacy um, and she furious attack for <laughs> coming out and saying such a thing, but it is totally true. The religion of white supremacy she was being totally accurate uh There was one other point, I was going to get that last, So I guess there were several other things, but I guess the last thing I'll touch on, at least for right now, uh, there were several uh, different cri- uh, clips uh, pertaining to education. Uh, one of those clips was about Seattle. I think I've heard that sort of thing uh, in other locales, not just Washington State, where they're saying, "Hey, it's a lot of racism with these suspensions," as if white people didn't know that. Uh, maybe we need to do something else because we are just, you know, tossing little black children out left and right. You know, on their ear, boom, 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 boom. Tons. It's been a lot of stories. We've had programs about that over the last year. Uh, I've seen where I think in California, in some places, where they're starting to try to. Uh, or at least giving lip service to say that they're doing away with suspension. Uh, and then you heard the report here, Washington State, where they said they're going to they're gonna give it a trial run uh, for a year at the elementary school level. <clears throat> During the course of that exchange, uh, when they were talking about the number of children uh, here in Washington State, uh, I think they were talking about Seattle specifically, that uh, had been kindergarten children that had been suspended. And I'm just like, wow, what exactly are you doing in kindergarten? to warrant a suspension i mean really (laughs) like i'm just i'm trying to process in my mind like okay you you're throwing apple wedges maybe you don't want to take a nap (laughs) like what what exactly can you do at uh you say no a lot i mean I'm, i'm just trying to come in my mind what could what could possibly warrant a suspension uh at kindergarten and that report from last year they got a lot of attention the black female mom her story was in the washington post she was on melissa harris perry's program as well where she was talking about she had two young children i think they were both of them they were both uh black boys and they were both under the age of six And she was talking about how they both combined had like five suspensions uh, so some of this is not even kindergarten where they're being tossed out we want to get them ready go ahead and get them prepared so that when you know uh, whether it's some random white citizen or an officer, Daniel Pantaleo, or whomever else happens to be out on patrol or ready to roll, you will be prepared. You'll already know your role as a black person in the system of white terrorism uh but i would be curious if they get around to doing that in areas the suspensions i'm talking about doing away with them in schools i'd be curious if they you know start saying that they want to do that sort of thing in areas where you have lots of black people uh more out towards the east coast further down south if they start uh going in with programs like that in those areas i would be very uh quite curious um with that i will pause um i did write about how to get away with murder, but truthfully i'm not really interested in hearing any commentary uh on that i think uh they or i I can't even say i think for me racist totally killed my interest in the program at all in addition to everything that i wrote uh on the report about why racists gave viola davis the emmy uh they saved the coup de grace Four days after she gets her Emmy, first African-American actress, that's what they said, right, to win an Emmy. And she gets to go on stage and give her speech and reference uh, the general Harriet Tubman and talk about racism, which she has done repeatedly for years and years and years. All the way back, she was in the documentary Dark Girls. Four days later, they have her come out and kiss her white lover on primetime. Eight, what does Dr. Wilson say? Eight pluses across the board racist man and racist woman. Uh, and that told, I didn't even watch the whole, like, as soon as I saw that that's where it was going, like I stopped. I'd said before I'd been watching just, you know, to keep up with racism, white supremacy. I explained all this. I wrote my report and I'm done. So I have now only one other television show that I'm watching and I'm not watching any others. Uh, I'm not wasting any more of my time investing. I know it's all racism. Uh, I could be reading or doing other things with my time as opposed to watching nonsense so I'm not interested in hearing any further updates uh, on that you can check out the blog post though if you know folks who are are watching and will have you they can read and uh, get their updates if they are interested Uh, not doing area 8 that's been long time running I'm just doing a reminder no area 8 uh, we're not talking about sexual intercourse uh, between white people and non-white people uh, on the Saturday program ever uh, that just becomes a very dominant thing people really enjoy it and then other topics that are just as important uh, people lose the enthusiasm so no Area 8 for any reason thank you kindly uh, the number again six four one seven one five three six four zero. the code is five, six. Four, nine, three pound press star six if you would like to chime in please do not wait until the last minute everyone who dialed in with a hand up should be with us if you could watch the background noise and then if you could speak one time and then allow everybody else to make sure they get a chance to speak uh, that way everyone, you know, can contribute. And then if we have additional time, which we should, you can come if you have, you know, second, third comments, other things that you want to share or ask about. Thank you kindly. Again, everybody who dialed in with a hand up, you should be with us.
22: Greetings. Uh, Greetings. yes, sir. Uh, there are two things that comes to my mind on, uh, on, the this week, weekend. Uh, yeah, I'll just read from my raw notes. Uh, New Black Panther Party, uh, and uh, the program where, in my opinion, Mr. Fuller was ambushed. I know, I know the program itself wasn't uh, this week, but you aired it a couple of uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, was ambushed with anti-black, well, I think, with anti-black behavior. Uh, both of those two incidents were similar in, in uh, to me. Uh, in fashion, as far as the non-white uh, uh, black uh, people uh, within both circumstances, it, it it and it's probably induced by the confusion uh, uh, that uh, the uh, white people who practice racism do uh, it gives off to some of us that's in certain organizations that uh, uh, we have some sort of power. Uh, uh, from the standpoint that can rival uh, with the system of racism and white supremacy other than attempting to uh, develop uh, as tight as code that we possibly can in saying and doing things correctly amongst ourselves, uh, including uh, not arguing with uh, with one another. Uh, uh, and primarily what, what ends up happening through our confusion, is uh, we are sure that we can only harm physically, physically harm uh, one another, or be uh, disrespectful to uh, other victims of racial white supremacy. Uh, as far as from my experiences and what I've been, you know, studying and, uh, and, and observing uh, when that type of uh, uh, activity takes place, you know, where where you're not giving the other other person a chance to uh, finish statements uh you're you're talking over the person that sort of thing, and uh as far as what I observed in the, in the uh the, the, the program uh that mr. Fuller was in, and also from the standpoint of the new black panther Party you know as uh uh the reporter uh, uh mentioned you know jumping on this seventy some odd year uh non white black person who's another a fellow victim unfortunately. Uh, un- unfortunately, this behavior I have uh, should should be expected. You know, I'm in the system of racist white supremacy, because that's what it produces. Uh, uh, it produces uh, confusion by by inducing deception on non-white people. Uh, the second thing. The second thing well and also what it, what it comes out of that is is confusion on what the system of white supremacy is and what it means and how it works. That that's what it, it, it creates on non white people. Uh if I hear the word white privilege again, you know, I'm gonna vomit. <laughs> Every time I hear I wanna vomit. the word white privilege, you know, it, it's 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 like up there with race car as far as a uh codified White supremacist uh, phrase, Uh, uh, and I have here written down uh, what it actually is. What white privilege actually is is active white supremacy. Active white supremacy, and that's all I have. Thank you.
7: Can I be
3: heard?
7: Yeah. Um. Yeah. uh, Just to piggyback um, somewhat on what the last guest was saying. Um, I, I also found that uh, program uh, where those people were talking to Mr. Fuller to be uh, very, very disturbing. Um, I, I think Mr. Fuller, I think he's he's 81 years old, and for those younger people to talk to him like that was very, very disrespectful. Um, in the black community, we have always been taught to respect our el- our elders, that's one of the reasons why we usually don't put our elders in nursing homes like white people do. And even if they didn't agree with him, the way they they talked to him was just was just atrocious. I almost couldn't finish uh, listening to that broadcast if it had gone any longer. I couldn't. I have great respect for for Mr. Fuller and Dr. Wellesley, and I'm not agree with everything they say, but I have great respect for them also. And as far as the um, the Catholicism thing. Um I'm I'm 61 years old and 50 years ago my my parents uh, converted our family to Catholicism and it seemed like everything our family just kind of collapsed after that. I mean I mean I know it has nothing to do with the religious aspect or whatever but I think it had to do with the white supremacy aspect. Before we were part of a, a, a black church with our family members on both sides and then we became Catholics and who attended an all white church and our family members really pretty much turned their backs on us and we just seemed to have a lot of problems from from then on but my 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 parents were of the of the um thinking at that time was they didn't know any better that the white man's ice and water is colder and wetter and I had a a black male friend that was a that was an altar boy and he was sexually molested but one of the priests, and um, my 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 two brothers n- never wanted to be altar boys, which I'm glad that they didn't, because mm-hmm. if they did, my parents would have been all for it, because you know they didn't know anything about that at at, at, mm-hmm. at, at the time. But um, my my parents just went all just really went all above and beyond for the Catholic Church and which they were really never appreciated, just treated as as an afterthought and um, you know, and uh plus, you know, all, of course everything that the Catholic Church has been associated with, you know, with white supremacy and all that, you know, that's the, the that that whole thing. And, and that's all I wanted to say. Thank you.
15: Uh, Hello, good evening. Good evening. Hey, hey, hey. Hello, everybody. A couple of things. I just, once again, I appreciate you playing that clip on the 60th anniversary killing of Emmett Till. And unfortunately, there are still people trying to bring about beyond just killings and prisons of black males for supposedly being white females. So it's still I'm glad you need to mind it. And as for the white lady who took a friend, because was collecting money to defend these races and it made her feel and she didn't like the fact that it made the people look like races. Well, one they were and two if you know, and to this sort of thing still continues like people defending racism or people who kill black people. You know, from Zoom and. Wilson. Hey, you can even make a crime and say a black person did it. And and you'll still get six thousand dollars. Like, the uh, race is better. Well. And I just want to uh case you know, of the things I've also discussed about Bill Maher is how he can be as big as Zionist as anybody else you can think of. Now, again, he can be, for his particular part, a white king. But don't say you're an atheist when you defend everything about Israel, which is a Jewish, which identifies himself as a religious state, and you defend any and everything related to it. And it particularly comes out with his for his you Remember the big fight him and Ben Affleck had. Not that we trust him either, as I stated. But the way he has been going at this kid, I mean, like, did you hear him when when someone said that he deserved to be unjustly arrested? Oh, that was last week. Let's move on. No. That's the entire point. The kid did nothing wrong, and he was unjustly arrested for it. And then you get these comparisons. Well, you got kids being suspended for wearing an NIA shirt, wearing an American flag shirt for drawing a gun, but were they arrested? The answer is no. And, and it just seems, and it's just like, well, okay, he was, that, that just seems to, that just seems to not bother any, that just seems not to bother people. And he shouldn't be compensated for it. Uh, you know, he should be compensated for it. President Obama shouldn't invite him to the White House. And and then and then, of course, he's got to mock the kid's intelligence. Bill so Maher does, and. It's just really horrible. Meanwhile, there's a white kid who was arrested. He tweeted out, how passionately he killed. This white kid didn't get, isn't getting anywhere the hatred that this innocent non-white kid is getting. You know. One last point. Uh, is the call from Florida here?
12: Are you talking about the retired yeah. retired firefighter? Yeah, the
15: retired firefighter. Yes. Hi. Right. Uh, last week, I asked if you see a police officer. If you see or read about a police officer being killed, see how people react. When the cop was his wife last week a couple of days ago, I read about a Florida cop that was killed serving a domestic trying to a domestic violence issue. a hey, Sheriff Myers he was killed by a white guy named Joel Smith. Could you tell me the action to that killing? What was the
22: question again?
15: (laughs) The there was a white cop who was serving a who was killed on line duty by a white cop killer. Cop killer's name is Joel Smith. Cop was named Deputy Myers. I'm asking you is. How was the reaction towards it, as opposed to the reaction towards Ishmael Brindley, Shannon Miles, or any black person accused of killing a
22: cop? Uh, I'm probably not the best person to ask right now because I'm, I'm not really familiar with the uh, with the particular incident. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I wish I was. I, I wish I was to help out with the with the answer, but I, but I, uh, I I'm not familiar with it.
15: Okay. Well, I can assure you uh, what I saw. I did not see anyone on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC condemning this as a war on cops. I did not see Anyone from Blue Lives Matter to protest this killing of an officer who was killed on the line of duty? I did not hear anyone say all lives matter. Now, if anyone else has, I would love to hear it because I certainly haven't. And that to me is the general reaction whenever it's a white cop killer, because like anything in this system of white supremacy, what it means to be white is that your your actions can be diminished, even being a cop killer. That's all.
12: There are other callers who have not shared. Uh, feel free to hop in. Uh, I did want to say I didn't know about this case until uh, M1 brought it up, uh, but I read about it at the New York Daily News uh, just little interesting tidbit. They pretty much just been the whole article talking about what a swell guy deputy Myers was. And he was doing this job to take his grandchildren to Disney world. And, you know, he trained puppies in his spare time and, you know, he, <laughs> you know, anything else wholesome and wonderful, Uh, You can think of uh, they put it in the article. This is just the bestest guy in the whole world. And, you know, he was shot. Anyway, there's no mention of Black Lives Matter. There's no mention of all lives matter. There's no mention of there's a war on police. Uh, There's no rhetoric to blame. There's no personnel or quotes from. Uh, the Fraternal Order of Police or any other, you know, these uh, bodies that are just to advocate for enforcement officers. There's no quotes of vitriol. The only interesting tidbit uh, is at the very bottom where they do have a photograph of the uh, detained shooter, Joel Smith. Uh, they write that Deputy Myers was white. Smith list- listed himself as Native American on one voter registration and white on a more recent one and that's how the article concludes other folks uh, who have not shared commentary Can I hear Yes, sir.
15: All right. I uh,
20: want to talk about the um, anti-black behavior of the show that um, Mr. Fuller was unfortunately uh,
22: um, asked to be on by these people who are, quote, not victims.
15: That's what they said on the show. They are not victims. Newton Fuller was the victim. He was the only one in his mind. That's what they said.
26: in point, I'm
20: confused because before they brought new Fuller on, well,
12: they did a two shows. Uh, part of um, FBI. Pelo. Part on. Um, I'm not really yeah. uh, interested in you know. <laughs> that's why I didn't take calls then like, you know, that's people's view are views are fine, but I don't really want to get into rehashing and all that, you know, they can move forward. That would be great. Thank you. Do you have other, right. no, other things you want to share though? No, I just, I really want to talk about that because I, I felt that they, uh,
3: that they were
12: disingenuous when they brought him on the show. Well, you know that's, uh, and even one thing I would definitely suggest: a part of code. If there is a concern with another non-white person, I definitely advocate that non-white person being present so the concerns can be addressed directly to that person. Uh, I think that would be that would be best. Did you have other things you wanted to say, though? No, I just,
22: uh, I just wanted to bring up that, um, that
12: behavior. I just don't think that's acceptable behavior. Um, that's, that's fine. And, uh, that's fine. Other people have, you know, have said that that's for, uh, other folks got their comment in. So we're moving forward on that subject. That was part of the reason that I did not take, uh, calls, uh, when I played the segment and, I expected that you know folks would have that opinion that is fine contact the person directly other than that moving forward on to other other subject matters right. appreciate it thank you All thank right. you sir thank you good to hear from you yep.
6: sir um good evening everyone um guess just in case i don't ever tell you again and i want to tell you tell you often that you do great work you do great work that's and you keep me focused and they keep me moving forward, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, oh, I karma in Texas. I noticed, and I'm, oh, I wanted to give you guys an update on the Santa Bland thing. Um, the, the town, um, where Ms. Bland, um, Ms. Bland was assaulted in View, Texas, well, when when the students in that town voted to change the name to Sandra Bland Parkway and they went to city council and it passed, then all of the white people all all over Texas got online and said, oh my god, she's such a criminal, she's such an awful person, she's so terrible, how could you, how could you, how could you do such a thing? And so the black people there, the older black people, the people my age, jumped on board and said, yes, that's right, we need to agree with these white people all over the Texas, she doesn't deserve that honor. And, you know, they lost their focus, and so they made a petition, got like 1,200 signatures, and then went back to city council and had them take another vote to change the name back, which I thought would have been pretty humiliating. But, but the only person who voted to change the name back was uh, one of the highest officials, black officials um, in, in that area, and it was his wife, because are I team. And but every all, all the other people in the council voted to keep the name Sandra Bland Parkway, and I thought that would have been that would have been so so tragic if they had done that because all the white people were really upset. So that was an update on that. But I noticed something this week, and not to talk about. If you can just hang on a second, I I won't really be talking about Area Eight of people activity. But, you know, I have noticed how white people will agree that black people are mistreated and downtrodden and all this stuff, but they don't want to let go of their hate. They don't want it. Nope, nope, that's where I draw the line. Got to go with it. The thing, that, the the corollary to that for black people is I've noticed is um, you can say, you know, white people mistreat us, and black people are confused, and, you know, we get manipulated into situations and blackmailed and all this other stuff, but and we, shouldn't, we shouldn't call each other names and denigrate one another in public. Black people said, nope, nope, sorry, got to draw the line right there. Black people are just a bunch of handkerchief-wearing hair people. They're a bunch of Uncle Tom, They're a bunch of traders. They don't even know they're black. They're just a bunch of Oreos, a bunch of crabs in a bell. I mean, black people will go on and on. They will not let go of that name problem. They will, they will agree with you and everything else that white people are a problem, but when you say don't, try not to talk about us like that, you know, can you, no, they say absolutely not, absolutely not, no, that's what black people deserve, we, we need to know this about ourselves, I find that so strange, they will not let go of that name calling, but, um, but, um, and I, and I, and I try to tell, you know, I try to, I try not to argue, I do, I do. But I said, don't you really think we should just get back to the white people who are the problem again? But maybe we aren't as bad as you're saying we are. And to that end, to that end, there's this African guy around, and he has problem, a new program. If you hear about something called Communities That Care, CTC, coming out of the Mormon church and it's sweeping the country, it is a way of... Just amassing a whole bunch of numbers so that white people will have an organization that they can say they qualify for federal funds for minority young people to do programs, communities that care, diversionary programs. Because in places like Texas, they hide those numbers. They don't tell you how many people get shot. They don't tell you how many juveniles they sexually abused. If they get abused, they hide it. You know, they, they, they relocate them. But now there's this huge thing called communities that care where all of the clans people can get on the board and funnel all the money to themselves. Because there's all this federal money out there supposedly, that you can help minority children with, but they have no way of getting it because they don't have an organization. But now they have this federal organization called Communities of Care. So the African guy comes up to me and he says, I'm introducing this to the people where you live and stuff like that. And the people where I live, surprisingly or not, the Klan people vote to give them $10,000, and they say, oh, you need fare? Let's give you some money for that, too. And we're all going to be on the board, and I'm looking at this, and my mouth is wide open. I mean, we've had programs, and they won't fund anything at all. And I talked to the African program about the African guy about that, who, who's 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 starting this program here, and he says, "Well, Karma, uh, you know, they will give me money and things just because of who I am and where I'm from, whereas they don't even want to talk to you." And I'm like, wow, that's the first time I've had a person from from the continent actually come out and say that. You know, because all I hear from my people is how we can't seem to stick together and they just come over here and they run circles around us and, you know, we're just a bunch of backwards people. And I'm like, so I'm seeing it right now. The African guy knows it. He knows that the white people are giving him all this cash and funding him. And he knows why they won't do that for me. And, you know, and I'm listening to my people denigrate us at every time saying, why can't we do this? And and there it is. There it is. You know, finally got somebody to admit it. It's kept closed. I'm seeing it. And it's just like what Puff was saying last week when Bank of America was going to give all the Hispanic people, what was it, $1.6 billion for home ownership? There's nothing wrong with my people except white people. Anyway,
15: thanks for listening to that. Appreciate it. I feel better.
12: White people are always most to blame. Mm. i you heard. You're a little low. If you could speak up, please.
26: Can you hear me? That's better. Um, yes, sir. Uh, greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners, and callers. Um, I, I wanted to speak on... Uh, Doctor Ben Carson, uh, victim of racism, and I was thinking about how I think he was set up for that uh, recent controversy because when I first found it out, I noticed he was asked a question by a suspected race soldier. He he said, the, the white guy said, "Well, I'm going to ask you the question this way," and you know I just I just kept thinking about how he, like when he said that the white guy. And I guess, well, you know, uh, Ben Carson, he answered the question. And next thing you know, well, he said this and he said that. But nobody, it's like they took it out of context. When it uh, strangely happened after the white guy asked about, you know, when can we get rid of Muslims to Donald Trump? And it was almost like the same kind of situation. But, uh, of course, the black guy, he's going to, get much of the viciousness from the, uh, racist media. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been thinking about that for a little while, but it's, it's really no surprise to it. And, uh, there was a part of the audio segment where I think he played Dr. Wilson and she was talking about, uh, John Banner is what his name is. And she said something about he, Said four children got their color from their mother, uh, something like that. And what does that mean? Was that
12: on one of the programs, Gus? Or it was, it was, yes, it was like last July, I believe. Um, I think it was like last July, and uh, the context we were talking about, um, Eric Holder. I think the retired firefighter had asked about LeBron James and Eric Holder. And uh, from that, she segued She was somehow talking about the angst against President Obama and Eric Holder. And she just included John Boehner in that because he's kind of been at the forefront of that charge. And even uh, it might be interesting to I spoke with her on Thursday. I wish I had waited a day and talked to her after Boehner uh, retired because uh, I would have definitely asked her, you know, what she thought about that, but it might, I suspect she might say something in the ballpark of uh, he was not sufficiently uh, aggressive. He was not sufficiently uh, abusive uh, in going after president Obama to satisfy, you know, the white people, the most powerful white people. Uh, and so that's why he's stepping down. Uh, I suspect she might say something, Uh, in that realm, Uh, and then just you know talking about the way that he's discussed, but I hear even, I almost played Bill Maher even last night, made a reference to his skin color, and he does it all the time, almost every time that they uh, that he mentions John Boehner, and he brings him up a lot, because that's the whole basis of his show, right? Political commentary, political satire, he makes a joke about his skin complexion, and I mean, it is right, I almost played it uh, in the sound segment today, put but it is in the clip. It's even a YouTube video. That's not, if you want to just get the quickie that it is a YouTube video. I think it's like Dr. Francis Cress Welsing and Eric Holder. If you put it in and you can see that it's like a 20 minute video and, uh, it's right at the end, uh, where she, talks about that and there's more to it that's just like a little snippet there's more to it that she adds and that's i think she talks about him more than once uh on the program i think she even did another one uh in 2012 uh where we spent some time talking about him and it might even be an earlier one uh where she talked about this because uh i didn't pay as much attention to the news uh as i did like i pay way more attention to the news than i did back in 2010 but i think there might even be one more too sorry go ahead sir Yeah, because I was, I was wondering what was,
26: I guess, the cause for him just uh, stepping down before the report said he was uh, supposed to step down, I guess, near his birthday or something. And I'm assuming that could be one of the reasons they don't, they might have thought well, or they didn't think he was too uh, aggressive enough on him. And uh, yeah, I just thought I found that very interesting, that, that audio clip. I have to look that up on YouTube, like you said, and uh that's that's pretty much all I have uh,
12: nine two nine eight you should be with us as well.
27: Hello, this is lady from New York. May I be hurt, yes, ma'am, um. So, um, this week was very interesting, and I definitely learned a lesson of not talking to other people about racism, white supremacy, other black people who don't feel like racism ever affected them. Um, interestingly enough for my father, who was a southern man. So, um, I thought that either way, the conversation always led back to black people, um, just not doing something right and it really got me to thinking of how a lot of black people feel that other black people are the problem but how all white people feel that all blacks are the problem so um i just i found that very interesting and um just applying i need to definitely apply that um rule to talking to other victims even in such close intimate settings because the, the, the conversation becomes a circle and it just it's really sad because um a lot of uh black people feel like maybe jamaicans are bad or this person is bad and it's just um very disheartening to know that we all feel like each other is is bad, or is the awful one, or weird one? Um, I thought that uh, the the comments about how um, Emmett Till's mother wanted to make it known that this was done to her son, I thought that was just so revolutionary on her part, and it, I just I I think that that's something that I would do, I would have done. It it should not be hushed what was done to her son and even in that time frame with her doing that that was it was brave and it was definitely revolutionary um but i did want to make a brief comment about the elementary suspension i mean they're doing this in preschool and this is one of uh, the reasons why i became a home educator to little boys little girls preschool level they're suspending them um I asked in my instance, what was the goal of suspending my son? And I could not—I couldn't be given a real goal of what—what was the outcome supposed to produce? Because in preschool, you're supposed to be getting ready for school. That's what they are—they are there for. Um, and that's when things really got difficult. Um, And I decided after that year, he would not be going back to school. And with John Boehner, I'm wondering if he's being made to step down. I don't have a reference, but I did read online a quote. Someone quoted him saying that, you know, it's obvious I have black somewhere in my family regarding his skin color. So I'm wondering if that is also part of the reason why he needs to step down once, you know, since he's come out with that. So I found found that very interesting. Um, With that, I'll mute my line. Uh,
12: The caller, let's see. Is there anybody who had a hand up uh, who has not been able to share? anybody who had a hand up who has not been able to share okay great I assume we got everybody Uh, or if other people have a hand up they might be waiting waiting for workplace racism we have about mm, a little less than 30 minutes so you have Oodles of time. Please get your hand up if you think you have things you would like to share before we get to workplace racism. So we don't have people sliding in at the last second uh, with commentary not related to workplace racism. So we can get ready to transition. Uh, it'll be smooth. Uh, anybody else have uh, just other comments that they wanted to get in questions, things that popped up? And ev- everyone was, uh, I think, courteous. I don't think anybody <laughs> was uh Discourteous or did anything incorrect in, in any of the commentary that was shared regarding Mr. Fuller, no problem, but we appreciate it. Moving on, thanks for the folks for uh, moving on. Other comments, folks, want to share? Caller in Ohio should be with us as well. Evening,
6: Good evening, May I be Heard. Yes, ma'am. Um, good evening to you guys, the host, and to all the other callers and listeners on the line. Um, the show was, I have to ask, the show was Lily Fuller. Is that something that was on your, on your, on the cow?
12: No, ma'am. That was a, a segment, a segment that he did on a different broadcast, but uh, we have moved on from that uh, subject matter okay. for the
6: evening. Okay, okay, that's why I, You know, I was just wondering if I hadn't missed the program. Mm-hmm. Um the school, the, the 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 segment about the elementary suspensions, and just like the young lady just said before me, I mean, it's bad enough that it's kindergarten, but there's there's something going on. To me, you know, when you you talk about um, pre-K, you know, kids who are what two, three, four years old and in pre pre kindergarten, and then they're being suspended, and I just kind of feel that. I just kind of feel that it's worked into the system because you have these for-profit prison, the for-profit prison industry. And those kids have got to be full. And in, in the segment that you played, the man said, he said, if you, if you suspend them or kick them out in what elementary school, chances are they'll be, they'll be suspended in well middle school and chances they'll be suspended in high school. So to me, it, it's just like, it it's, it's just all a part of the plan. I just think it's, it's even built into what we would call today education, because today when we think of education, it's not so much education. The thing is what? It's taking these tests. So I'm not saying that there is an education, but I think there's very little education going on. I really, really do. And I think especially in um, schools, um, where well, we're full of where well, they're full of us, and especially in um public schools, I think the thing with charter schools is um I don't know what to say about charter schools i, I know I, I'm in Ohio, and I know that the state gives uh the charter schools here the bulk of the money and there's controversy here because you know as newspaper, you want to do articles and things about how how these schools how well these schools are doing. The school, the charter schools, are not giving up the information, and uh, we have a, uh, a, a management company here called Whitehead Management, who, in my opinion, the man over—he's the Republican. I think he wrote the law for charter schools, but it was something about um, they can keep the the all the like equipment, the desk, and everything. And so, you know, Whitehead Management. And then there's school boards, so they have school boards, too. And the school boards got angry because, I guess, they felt Whitehead Management wasn't doing what they're supposed to be doing, so they sued. Whitehead Management lost first, and then there was a suit again, and they won. So now Whitehead Management, they get to keep the, uh, the equipment. I mean, they get to keep everything. So I just think all of this is just built in in what we call education today. Because the private prison industry, those beds have to be full kept full because if not if most of the laws in different states that then the states will have to pay excuse me, the states will have to pay, have to pay the uh prison if those beds are not kept full. So that you know, it's like a conflict of interest and especially if you you know, the schools, they remember they test in the third grade and it's my understanding it's something about the results of that third grade test. That that they use to determine the number of bears they need. So I think it's just all tied in there together. One quick thing, then I'm off the line. The Pope, uh, you know, is here, and so, uh, I, you know, I just noticed the giddiness of, of of this seems like a little bit of everybody. Y'all can black, white, and just so excited, you know, about about you know the Pope being here. And uh, I, I put a, a thing on my page, my Facebook page, today. the question was. You know, I just want to hear your thoughts. What is the purpose of the Pope being here? And man, I mean, it got into a long, uh, almost like a battle. Uh, uh, you know, one lady is just like, you know, you read the Bible. She's just she's not feeling the Pope. And then you had it's like anybody else on the on the uh, the thread was just like against her. They were taking her on. And so since it was mine, I was like, I don't want to say anything because I, I asked for their thoughts. But I will say this, and I think you hit it right on the head where black people would say, oh, we hope he speaks about race, we hope he says something about race. We hope, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I've been, in a sense, I've been watching, because it's, it's on you know it's on TV, and I said, so, well, let me turn on what's going on. And he hasn't said a thing about race. And I didn't expect him to. <laughs> but, you know, I guess he speaks somewhere tomorrow, and then he he's out tomorrow. And unless he says something tomorrow, and I don't think that he will, then I'm like you. I just feel black people... Uh, Got uh, herself up in the tizzy, and I guess my question is, I don't, I don't understand why black people would think that the Pope would say something about race. I, that I understand. With that, I'll meet my line. Thank you. Mm,
12: I, some of them, I guess they were, they were hopeful. <laughs> like uh I don't know if they, if they really thought he was going to do so, but they were hoping that you know, with everything that's been happening here, that you know, he might. Be courageous, but uh, it looks like that is not going to happen. So I've read um, there have been a lot of different reports on uh, Boehner's resignation. Uh, the New York Times had a couple different uh, editorials, which were interesting in and of themselves. If you want to uh, kind of check that out. But uh, the P- Washington Post in um, this article has over a thousand comments. Um From the Washington Post, after nearly five years, Boehner could never land the big deal he wanted, uh, and this was written yesterday. John A. Boehner never landed the really big deal he craved, not the forty not the four trillion dollar tax and entitlement deal he reached for in two thousand eleven, not the repackaged version of a year later, and not the immigration overhaul he sought in two thousand and fourteen. He most clearly learned the limits of his power midway through his nearly five year tenure as House Speaker when he scaled down his ambitions for Plan B, a tactical gambit aimed at forcing Democrats to preserve Republican tax cuts. Conservatives rebelled because those making more than one million dollars would have faced tax increases and Boehner was left reading the serenity prayer to his Republican colleagues. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The speakers. Wow. He quoted (laughs) that's clowning. The utter defeat left him unable to go big. As he liked to say, his effort to find a legacy defining piece of legislation coming largely to a close. In the three years since, he mostly has been treading water. This month, Boehner found himself in much the same position as before. But conservatives weren't revolting over tax cuts or a farm bill or health care legislation. This time, they were after his job. On Friday, he decided to spare his party another fight, particularly one that was all about him. In the same basement room where he abandoned Plan B, he announced his resignation, ending a run as Speaker that came to be defined by internal revolts and missed opportunities. On September 17th, Republicans swore in their 247th member, giving them their largest House majority since 1930, Yet Boehner could never please his most conservative members. I read that as the most racist or the most powerful white people. Fiscal deals negotiated with President Obama produced more than $2 trillion in savings and made the GOP's tax cuts permanent for 99% of workers. But the far right painted both deals as sellouts. And I will stop there but that is a very important word I pay attention to. Salah so there were quite a few uh, important terms and just the way that they phrased all this, but I think that that uh that in my view might support my theory about in the ballpark what Dr. Wellsing might say that, you know, he was not sufficiently aggressive in going after getting things done uh in attacking President Obama and, and undermining what uh the what they call the Obama administration uh, not sufficiently undermining the Obama administration so he's stepping down but I could be wrong be great to hear directly from her folks have other comments they want to make sure they got in before we get to workplace racism is uh, satisfied? Nobody had anything else they wanted to make sure they got in? It felt uh, it felt repetitious. I'll make sure uh, I get my comment in before we get to workplace racism. It felt repetitious. It seemed like there were a lot of things that were reported this week uh, as like new uh, that seemed like they had happened before had been reported before it just uh i felt uh, it felt odd um I'm trying to think of some of the specifics the uh donald trump would just be there uh permanently uh they were reporting uh, even the emmett till thing because they had been talking about that quite a bit uh for most of the summer it seemed uh they had other reasons not that you know there's anything incorrect it just seemed like they were just they were just talking about all this um they were talking about the black panther Documentary. Uh, I think it was just released in specific places, uh, but they had just been talking about that uh, before as well. <laughs> just earlier this year, even some of the same news outlets, it seemed like it was it was a slow week, so they had to, to recycle uh, some of the same reports and what have you that they were talking about. Um, there was one other tidbit uh, I wanted to make sure I got in as well. I told folks I had been reading a lot with uh, Katrina, uh, so this is now the longest book that I've read, and I'm still not done uh, Douglas Brinkley, uh, he is a racist suspect. Uh, in my opinion, there are tons of paragraphs that would support <laughs> he is off the suspect list, but whatever. Uh, the Great Deluge, he wrote it in 2006, so this was pretty close to when Katrina happened. Uh, just this one paragraph, uh, When, <laughs> just read the paragraph. So he's talking about uh, the the chaos and the slow response and why black people in New Orleans were not getting help. Uh, And they did an investigation to figure all this out, who was supposed to do what, who did not do what they were supposed to do, why things went so terribly wrong. Uh, And so he writes uh, about this, this investigation, the report concluded in the absence of a timely and decisive action and clear leadership, responsibility and accountability, there were multiple chains of command a myriad of approaches and processes for requesting and providing assistance and confusion. When the white house finally stepped in to take an active role in disaster response, it only added to that confusion. That right there was huge. And that's the sort of thing. It would not have stood out to me at all. Uh, prior to really uh, Mr. Fuller's talking so much about promoting confusion, promoting confusion, Uh, that racists are excellent, that that is a part of being a master deceiver. You promote confusion. Uh, These are the most powerful white people. And I mean, this is not even one white person. This is legions of white people where it's not just confusion. It just gets more confusion that gets added as you add People who ostensibly have the power, have the ability to solve this problem like immediately. Any resources that you need to solve this problem, presto, it's taken care <laughs> Give me a piece of paper and that's done. No, we get confusion. That's the sort of thing that stands out to me as this is being done deliberately where we're acting like, oh, you we know, don't, who and I, are you going to do? Oh, I don't. They do this sort of thing deliberately uh, to make it seem like they are confused or that's, we just don't know. It just got bogged up and just got messed up through lines of communication. And you know, that sort of nonsense where somehow it always ends up to the detriment of black people. That is not happenstance that just in my view should consistently be looked at as something. This is a deliberate act of white terrorism. That's what this is. Anytime that this sort of thing happens, but just paying attention when you get that confusion, we don't understand. We can't figure things out. And it's to the detriment of black people, to the detriment of non-white people. It should be. Hey, we just automatically assume this is a conscious, deliberate act of racism. Uh, the folks are still satisfied. Nobody had any comments. Be heard?
6: Yes, ma'am. Okay, I just want one quick uh, uh, comment. Uh, The young man mentioned Ben Carson, Doctor Ben Carson, who's running for the president of the United States, and uh, he gentleman said that he believed that it was like he was set up. And you know, when I heard that, I kind of felt that way too. But it just, you know, it just kind of hurt me because I said it's just something about black people how we walk around, I, and I know, you know, it's racism, white supremacy, and, and and like I was saying, you know, I, I asked you around the Mike Brown time about, you know, what is the about us that we can't seem to connect the dots. I remember you made a big mistake, you think, of, you know, the system where the white people make it so that we can't connect the dots, but I just worry, after sometimes it's seen as if we walk around with our eyes wide shut, you know, in other words, we just, we're looking at things, but we're not seeing things. And so, um, you know, he made a statement. He said what he said, as he said. And um, and actually, he said the truth, when I was on Facebook, you know, I, I don't support him. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't support him. I just, I think he's a great doctor. I don't think he's a politician. But I found myself, I was supposed to say, I guess you got to say, it's not like I'm defending him, I said, but I just think that what he said is just that, even though we know there's no litmus test or religion, least that's what this country said, you know, religious this litmus test, you know, to run for the presidency, but I'm just like, you let some man step up there and say, you know, I, I'm a Muslim and I'm running for the president of this country and see what happens. So my point was that basically what the Carson said was correct. And I was around from my Facebook, I said, and he hasn't said anything that any of the other ones have said Donald Trump, any of the other so I said, But you're coming down on him, but here's the thing, and, um, you know, I I was talking, I said, the the Vegas, he's still number two in the polls, if the polls mean anything, you know what I'm saying, the people, and I said, but you know, he's still number two in the polls, and of course, he said what he said, I think he called him one day this past week on TV, he said, after he made that statement, and you know how these people do, he said, money begins to flow into his coffers, you know. So um, I, I just, you know, I, I the thing is, is just that um, it's not like, you know, he said something that's just totally out of the pocket. He said what most people in this country feel. And, you know, and so I, I just wanted to say that. But I do feel, I'm like the gentleman that mentioned this, I do feel it was like a set-up question. And, and it's just like he walked right into it with his eyes wide shut. And I think, though, that's part of the problem when you, it almost seems like, particularly on the Republican side, since Donald Trump is the lead candidate at this point in time, the most outlandish thing, could say, they will follow right behind them with their outlandish things. Like Jill Bush says, uh, I'm going to inspire black people uh, to vote for me and something uh, about free stuff. You know, but, you know the implications, is, you know, all we get is, you know, the Democrats promise you free stuff and that's who black people vote for. So you get these outlandish statements which really are said to play to their base. And, you know, people run with that. So, I mean, so far he's still in second place. But I do think, and I, I'm, I'll i root myself after this, that he walked into that with his eyes wide shut. And, um, you know, he should have known better. But at this time, he's still doing okay. I'll meet my lines.
12: was uh for once wishing not that you know entertainment is, is that important. I was for once wishing that uh, I knew someone <clears throat> who paid attention to sports, uh particularly like in Seattle. Uh the they had a whole to do, Cam Chancellor is a black male. He was not playing, uh what they call holding out. Uh he wanted um to get a renegotiate his contract basically. And um The team was losing. And so white people were furious. And it it was amazing. Right. Because they they won a Super Bowl like two years ago. So, I mean, they were the the greatest Negroes ever. (laughs) They uh, just loved even Richard Sherman, for the most part, even here, like was just beloved, like they hated anybody who said anything bad about him um but the few times that you would hear anybody be like well i don't really like him that much he can play but you know he's brash he does all that talking loud mouth black person uh i like cam Chancellor. he would always be the guy they would be like he's great he just goes about his business he's blue collar guy and yeah that's who i want my my child to be like yeah that Cam chancellor is great man When he had, oh my god <laughs> like it was overwhelming. Like what, who is this nigga to like, get back in there and do what are you talking? Oh man. It changed completely. Like I thought this was the guy everybody loved. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? You know, you know, support him trying to get a better deal. And you know, they weren't trying to hear any of the, uh, the nuances of why he was doing this. It was man. You signed the contract, get back out there on that field. And I mean, it just shifted. I don't really. Uh, I don't know anybody in Seattle who's paying attention, but it definitely. Uh, man, I thought it was it was definitely worthy of of uh, a moment of reflection. At any rate, good. Uh, well, you know,
22: good. Can I comment on
12: that? Yes, sir.
22: Yeah, from uh, being involved with uh, sports, especially football, for a very long time, uh, and some of those guys that are in the NFL, I've coached when they were in high school, so I follow it pretty good. There's a there's a uh, consistency with white people especially. Uh, there there would be that NFL player's uh, quote-unquote fan, but as soon as he started doing adult-like things like being concerned about his income and how to boost his income, uh, just like they do on their individual jobs, Dennis, nigga, what you doing? Get out there and play football. Don't be thinking about your future or anything like that. So that's based on the attitude. And it's quite consistent that that type of behavior. It goes, and, and 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 I'm sure you know it, it goes beyond uh, Mr. Chandler. You know, as far as they're concerned, there's constant examples of that uh, when that takes place uh, and how they uh, target and uh, magnify, especially when. For the most part now, the NFL, uh, as far as the employees who play the sport, probably make up about somewhere between 85 to 90% of the players. And uh, uh, to be unique about the Seattle Seahawks, when they did win, win that Super Bowl, all starting players on the defense were black males, every last one of them, including Mr. Chandler. And uh, that's, that's what I have to say about, about that.
12: Thank you. it's pretty uh it's pretty fascinating um he's back now and even some of the reports that i I saw like now that he's back they were still not satisfied he wasn't i don't know if they wanted an apology or something he was not sufficiently remorseful about things or i don't know he didn't uh didn't provide an adequate uh justification for uh But why he returned at this point, it was, uh, you know, as I say, it was, it was Mermint worthy of a, a fraction of, of commentary. Anywho, uh, anybody else have anything we want to get before we get to workplace racism last minute or two? Everybody's great. Everybody's good. Oh, the caller 6295 6295. You should be with us. Hello. Yes, ma'am. Okay. You can hear me. I'm sorry.
6: Good evening, everyone. Um, this is my first time calling. I've been listening for a while. Um, I think, I think this might be workplace racing, but it might be transition. That's why I'm talking about it. Um, I'm a student, and as a doctoral student, I have to be an instructor. So I do that as well. And I gave an exam, and a lot of people didn't do well. Oh, well. Um, One of the students in particular was an African-American student. And um, she had some financial issues getting her stuff together. So she finally got it together. She emailed me. I said, come see me. So she came to see me. I told her what she needed to do, that all was not lost, you know, life's not over, you can bounce back. Then she said, well, when I talked to the white lady, I said, oh, my mind I go, oh, no. She she says, she told me to drop the class. So that was just my little example. It sounds like school plays racism because, you know, it happened at school. And I just want to just, you know, be mindful of your child's education, whether they're in elementary school, high school, whatever. I'm almost 40. My mother asks me every day when I talk to her, how was school? (coughs) Uh, So just be mindful of that. And even if there's only so much you can do, especially in higher education, you can't go talk to the teacher or anything because your child is supposed to be at least 18. But you want to be mindful of that and just continue to encourage anybody, any young person, anyone who's in school trying to better
12: themselves. That's all. Ashe, Ashe, that's awesome. First-time caller, glad you... Chimed in. Yeah, that is definitely important. We encourage that all the time, the importance of, you know, talking to your children about racism, because I think we had about four, five different clips uh, this week about racism in the classroom. The one t- That is all star for the week, <laughs> the young uh, black girl. Uh, she was a student in the class and she was saying that the teacher was yelling, I guess, to tell them to be quiet or whatever and told them uh, you niggers, you know, settle down or whatever. And uh, she said she was just like, wow, did she just call us niggers? And so then she came in the next day with on her shirt, the word nigger and saying, don't call me by my name, since that's what you think of us. Just call me nigger. That's what you like. All star. Excellent. Excellent. In my opinion. Excellent. Kind of racist effort. Um, be interesting to kind of keep an eye out to see how that situation progresses.
6: Well, I'm the teacher, so I'll I'll will be keeping an eye on the situation because she has to do well because I'm the teacher. So, and this and if you are in a position of I guess somewhat authority, whatever, just be mindful of that. That you know, especially if you're dealing with a mixed group of students, because I I'm getting my degree at a majority, well, majority for white school. Um, and just be careful that I get that a lot when I go in the room, some people have never had an African-American teacher or whatever I see black students' face light up like I'm I'm not saying to do all your prayers you still have to do your work but, um, but you know, just try to be encouraging
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
12: and I'm with my mind, thank you for sure, for sure thank you, thank you, first time caller right on uh Workplace racism. Uh, folks are interested in chiming in. The number 641 715 The code 564943 pound. Press star 6. If you would like to participate, uh, workplace racism, again, if you have observations, uh, if you have figured out things that work well uh, to minimize problems for you so that you don't, you know, have to deal with folks messing you over and, you know, screwing up your raises and things like that, definitely would like to hear from that. Or if you have, you know, figured out just some overall patterns, observations that you've made. That is great as well, but uh, looking forward to hearing some observations. Workplace racism. Proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir.
22: Yes, uh, back with the uh, weekly report on the, uh, white male who's on the coaching staff, uh, had a meeting today and, uh, within the meeting, he started, uh, criticizing, uh, the, uh, criticizing the, uh, the, 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 the program itself, uh, and, uh, normally I would, uh, stay quiet because he's primarily was talking about, uh, uh, offense side of, of, uh, football. And, uh, I, uh, waited for him to finish and basically told him that, uh, you know, you, you have a choice in this matter, uh, because he was told he, he didn't, he didn't he made the choice of not coming out to participate until he got ready. Uh, And that was a crucial time when uh, all of the the people who committed to being coaches should have been involved and he made a choice to not to do it. But Yet he wants to come into the meetings and criticize uh, about what's going on. And I say, you don't have a place for that. You got a choice to either uh, quit coaching or, accept what's going on and try to do the best you can to help, uh, the total effort uh, on the staff. And, uh, he didn't like that and stormed out of the, uh, the meeting for a period of time. And, uh, he eventually came back, but, uh, that's basically my, my, uh, uh week of report on the, uh, the white male. that's on the high school football coaching staff.
12: Thank you. How did the, uh, how did the other black people respond? Like, did you get any, uh, any, any opposition? Oh, eh, oh no! Oh no! I, uh, I, have I, been, I have
22: been, I have been, uh, I have been practicing as best as I can, counter racist codification, uh, and to not to be as aggressive as, as I could be about race, quote unquote racism in the workplace because it's just like I've heard Mr. Fuller say it and other people have said, uh, you don't have to, the the person who is, who, who deems that they are less confused. A lot of times really, you don't have to bring it up. It's going to come up anyway. And I'm grateful to say that amongst these other black males on this staff, they have been made quite aware of this particular person. Uh, Uh, he, he, he is the, if if we was having a scientific examination of white people who practice racism, he would fit the he would fit the mold. You can use this picture <laughs> to to be an example of it, and they 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 I can see them learning. I can see them learning uh, about the refined uh, means of how white people practice racism, white supremacy, uh, in, a, in professional quote unquote so called professional environment, and we're, we're talking about in the school also his job is to handle the indoor suspension that's his job during the school day to handle the indoor they have him in charge of the indoor suspension of course you know most of the children who get suspended from school outdoors or indoors are non-white black children male and female growing number of females now so that's quite interesting Uh, within a school that I would say the vast majority of them are non-white. Uh, that uh, he is not only works at this school, but also works in that capacity. Yes, and he's and, and of course, if anybody did not uh, hear me say before, he's married to a non-white black female, and has several children from this non-white black female.
12: Especially, uh, especially dangerous, especially dangerous. Oh,
22: oh it's like, it's like a bomb. It's like a bomb every time it's like a kicking a bomb. Every time, uh, uh, we have meetings, mm. it, it's there. It's right there in the midst of us. Mm. But at least everybody, it seems though, is, is aware that it's there. they not, in other words, a lot of times the mistake, a lot of non-white black people do is, is ignored, trying to use it as a, as a strategy. Will it, and it would somehow go away, like like somebody passing gas or something. Uh, you know this, but uh, from from what I from from me taking a head count of the non white black males on the staff, every last one of them made comments that tells me that they are aware of him. Every last one on the
12: staff. outstanding uh, I would definitely mark that as significant I think we had talked before about if it can just get to a point where everybody is suspicious of him that he will probably leave soon thereafter Him, if he can storm out of a meeting and there are no black people that are sticking up for him and saying hey wait a minute now you can't talk to him like that or you know I feel bad right. he's here and nobody is taking his side like I would say wow no. <laughs> you could right. probably start looking at the watch like I think he is probably going to be uh, have his fill of this <laughs> very soon
22: he has quit he has quit other staffs before from what I, what they have been telling me some of the people some of some of the guys who are on the staff they were high school uh, teammates of his in high school, the head football coach uh, basically was a coach on the staff when this guy was in high school. So that's that's the knowledge of him, and uh, so th- some of them know him personally more than a lot more than I do. I deal with him similar to how I heard Mister Fuller said about Tim Wise. I don't say anything to him. I don't say anything to him. Uh, uh, It's ironic, though, but this morning, he and I were the first two people to be at the school this morning. And I didn't say a mumbling word to him in the office at all. I just went about the means of doing something personally because I'm not going to engage in any small talk with him. Uh, I do say greetings around him, but uh, it's not necessarily directed towards him because there's other people in the room. And if I do say something to him during the course of the day, it's something that's directly centered on workplace. And that's it. So he's much aware of me. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's, he's aware of me. White people do their homework. When I was on the fire department, uh, myself and several others was involved into counter-racist activity uh, on a constant basis uh, off the job. And I'm pretty sure, because white people do their homework and they, they, they've already observed that, they've already did the research on that sort of thing, and I'm pretty sure he knows who I am. I'm pretty sure he knows who I am as far as they're concerned. So uh, they, they, they're quite aware of, of the war that they've been waging against us, and they make, it, they make it upon themselves to understand those non-white black people who are aware of racism, white supremacy. So there it is, so to speak.
12: Definitely do their homework. That's definitely the correct position to take. That's the position that I have taken. Uh, other uh, folks have commentary, workplace racism, observations, if you think they codified some things that are working for you, it's great to hear as well. Uh, anybody else have uh, comments or questions, workplace racism? Can I be heard?
26: Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. Uh there were a few encounters and lessons this week. Uh what the first was I received a compliment from a uh a, a new bailiff, uh sheriff, non white person, non white male, you know, he just said so he said, Let me let me tell you something. He said, you know. It's good to see that you're always a positive person. You know that's that's a good thing to it's a good thing to be. You know, because I guess he might not experience uh, certain or maybe constructive personalities. I guess, but you know, he said every time I see you, you're always a positive person. You know that that's the language he used. And uh, I had a another conversation with a. An older black female, and she was just saying that she was. Well, she had like a plate of food, food in her hand, like some kind of plastic container, and she said she was about to go back outside to uh, to go give somebody some food because the, this person, I guess, I think it was a, a black person, that he was hungry and uh, he was working with someone, and the person left him and hadn't returned yet, so. I guess he hadn't eaten anything, so she was just telling me, "You know, I'm about to go back over there and give him something to eat because I can't stand to see anybody hungry." So, you know, I'm willing to help. And I was like, "And I said, Oh, that's that's good. You know, that's that's pretty awesome.'" So, that was that was one. Um, that was one. Well, I wouldn't say incident, just a, a story. And uh, one last thing was, um, the supervisor in my department. He usually sends out. If it's not him, then it's maybe other employees. They'll send out like emails. Uh, I guess where it may end up like humorous or in a joking way. You know, people trashing each other and being, uh, you know, non non-constructive talking about each other and all of that. And then you know, I just questioned them on it, and I said, hey, you know, what what about sending out something more constructive? you know, more, uh, something more correct. And he said, what are you talking about? You know, I, I do that. And he said, you know what, just check your email. And then he sent out, I guess, something saying, you know, not to be gossiping and stuff and, you know, never to give up or whatever. And it looked like it was something more, I guess, more uh, helpful to people, something more, you know, of good use. And I noticed when he sent that out, nobody had no replies to the email, like I came back by, and I said, "You know that is more constructive." and everybody was quiet, nobody was nobody was picking on each other, nobody was making jokes, trying to be funny, and all of that and I noticed there was a a huge change when you tried to do something constructive, so I, you know I was paying attention to that, and just like it was a meeting it tend it tends to be a lot of I guess uh what Mr Fuller calls attackingist where you know somebody got an all with joke or something and tell uh some kind of some kind of story that'll lead to a punchline joke. You know, and James Winston and and they'll they'll talk about all this kind of stuff in in meetings and uh and they'll use words like politically correct and all of that. But you know, I just decided to just stand there. Just have a, a regular face and not even really respond by laughing or anything. I'm just here to just get the important part of the meeting. You know, what's going, what, what should we improve on in the workplace? You know, and being business like. So that's pretty much my update for this week.
12: That is awesome. That is awesome. Getting. <laughs> I've said before, like getting that reputation for being somebody that does not participate in all of the uh, office gossip and is is not trying to come in and you know poke fun at everybody. Just get a reputation for that, just being somebody that's hey, I'm I am about business. (laughs) Like let's let's make sure we're getting this work done. Absolutely, that's what I hear. Right on, right on. You can speak and all that, but just known for being serious, being professional business-like, on task, get a, rep, a, a reputation uh, for just being that way on a consistent basis on the job. And that's spectacular, just noting the difference uh, when it goes from the tacky emails and what have you that get sent out to something constructive <laughs> the impact that it has uh, on the people. I mean, that is, that is amazing. Uh, and, you know, that's, I mean, hey, isn't this what we want? quiet people can work being kind we're not you know looking to to poke fun at everybody and get a laugh at somebody's mean, hey constructive professional work environment who has a problem with that that is outstanding but that that right there is counter-racism and you don't have not even mentioning racism just trying to see if we can be constructive that right there working against racism the folks have commentary workplace racism be sure to get my reminder in uh, if you know folks are doing that spectacular uh, on the job where they are not having any problems no issues white people are doing right by you you get all your promotions in a timely manner invest the address racism hyphen notes.blogspot.com paypal is in the top right corner if things are going that well and you are just shooting up the ladder in your chosen profession congratulations and you should make sure you take lots of notes so you can explain how you did that to other Black people who I'm sure could benefit. Uh, we don't need to waste time. But, you know, if, if that is the case where we have this many cows listeners who are having a great time on the job, man, I am glad that uh, that is the case. And I hope you all take great notes and can share how things have worked out so well for you. In fact, you could be sharing that. <laughs> like, yeah, what what exactly have you done? I mean, you don't have to spill, spill everything if you're working on a book to share all this. You could, you know, I always try to encourage that as well. If you figured out some things that have worked well so that you don't have problems, definitely feel free to share that also. Certainly, we seems like enough people over the years have expressed that they also have problems with other victims of racism in the workplace. If folks have figured out a way to consistently... Minimize those problems so that that is not an issue, even if you have a non white person as a supervisor. It would be great to hear those tidbits as well
22: yes uh, yes uh because uh I'm in a uh you know retirement from a job and and uh um, and uh, basically, what with the coaching is, you know, if it's, it's, you can almost say it's volunteer, you get about fourteen hundred dollars of stipend. They call it at the end of the year. Uh, I do after football practice, you know, that 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 kind of like designates that the workplace, quote unquote, is over with. I do uh, because some, some of some the the, the Black males that I coach with we're also we're also friends uh in a in a large case you know know each other's families and, and you know spend some time around each other from a social standpoint uh sometimes although i don't do it as much as I used to but uh it gives me the opportunity through conversation mutual conversation to to express uh kind racist codification so to speak uh and within that context, I, I, in sharing, I, I make suggestions. Uh, so we as black males, uh, reduce the, uh, the opportunity to getting to squabbles with one another, uh, or some sort of, uh, uh, negative, uh, confrontations with, with each other. Uh, I make suggestions about, you know, uh, uh, as far as to get away from name-calling and, and uh, you know, some of the basics that's involved. I, I do, you know, kind of like choose my battle, so to speak, and be very careful with doing it. But nevertheless, I, I'm able to uh, do that, for the most part, without conflict from another uh, non-white person.
12: Been uh, consistent in terms of problems, and a lot of times it'll even be white people will be instigating. Uh, whether this is physically white people physically present or not, uh, they'll be instigating uh, these problems uh, that happen uh, on the job between non-white people. Uh, definitely, folks have you know figured out things that kind of work to help uh, minimize that when when those problems do arise. Um, definitely, feel free to share, and I would still encourage folks that workplace uh, journal. Uh, I've encouraged that. I definitely think that that would be helpful uh, to just kind of help you organize your thoughts, to help you remember things when incidents uh, happen, observations and what have you. I really think uh, it would be a benefit. And again, you don't have doesn't have to be uh, we're not talking a book here and and even not even writing with the intention of sharing publicly. This is just for you. So, I mean, you can invest 10 minutes and just jotting down you know these are some of the things that happen some of the things that set out now may some days you might have more but this can just be a quick 10 minutes review of things that happen things you remember that sort of thing just to get in the habit of being more serious more alert uh, about your work environment because it's that dangerous under the system of racism uh the other call that joined us with a hand up you should be with us also Good
22: evening, everybody.
12: Good evening, sir. Um, just want to
20: share uh, <clears throat> this was a, a while back at work. Uh, still, I'm currently, I'm in the military, but this was one of my, uh, so-called bosses, I guess, uh, the, uh, white, male. If you could speak uh, up, sir. If you could speak up, <clears throat> uh, it was a white male, uh suspected racist, uh, one of my former uh, supervisors, uh I'm in the military, and it was just a uh, just a contrast as to how he treated um people. Um there was a a black male um that used to get in trouble quite a bit, but it was all a little petty, um, you know, minor offenses where he would be I mean he would be late sometimes he wasn't uh I wouldn't categorize him as the best worker or anything, but he would have a lot of minor offenses and um you know my white boss would um just you know take these offenses and blow them well out of proportion and uh try to get this guy uh you know in trouble in some serious trouble, so I guess at one point he caught the uh the blackmail um um reading a, uh, a book or something at the, at an inappropriate time. He wasn't supposed to be reading a book, but he caught him reading a book, and then he took it straight up to the, to the top to try to get this um, black male, you know, punished and uh, uh, get him in trouble, you know. And again, um, this black male never really committed any major offenses. Um, but in contrast to that, uh, you know, the white male, Dad used to commit uh, offenses um, very frequently. He would, uh, you know, oversleep and come to work uh, three, four hours late. Practically missed the whole morning. He did that several times. Uh, he was uh, very <coughs> sloppy looking in his uniform. Um, he would come. He would come to work. Apparently, seems as if he was drunk. But of course, he claimed that this. You know, the, the white um, young white guy uh, complained. that, uh, Well, professor, he never drunk or anything, but he was always constantly just getting in trouble. Just, but supposedly this you know, white guy was supposed to have like a high, you know, um, military test score. He was supposed to be this brilliant white man. So I guess they put you know even extra value on him. And he was just kept giving him breaks, kept giving him breaks, constantly, constantly. But anything that any little minor offense this black male would um, would uh, commit, then it would just get blown out of proportion. It would get spreaded um, throughout the entire uh, workspace, so everyone knew it. So he just had this big um, <clears throat> reputation for getting in trouble, and that was just one of the few, or one of the few things that my white boss or white supervisor used to do, just to practice racism. And
12: that's all I wanted to share. Thank you. Appreciate that. That is so common um, on the job. And that's why I said the importance of being observant uh, on the job and paying attention to things that are happening uh, to see if it is, if they are functioning in accordance with the constitution, the constitution says equal treatment. Everyone is supposed to, the laws are supposed to apply equally to everybody. That's what justice is. Uh not that, you know, the white guy can commit all these infractions and it's no big deal. And then a black person comes along and commits an infraction and, you know, now we gotta throw the I mean, come on now. Come on now, I mean but that sort of thing is happening all the time. That's you know, you should definitely be aware. And just this, you know, super qualified, extra special white man, uh I am uh, super incredulous uh, because white people just lie all the time, particularly around resumes and qualifications. They just make up stuff all the time. Like they had a report on uh, talk radio 702 in South Africa about this, that this was rampant problem. I've seen big exposés on this uh, here in the States, uh, even my, back to Katrina um, in the book that I'm reading now. Uh, Michael Brown with FEMA, Michael Brown, FEMA white guy, Uh, They went back and looked at his resume and he had made up all of this stuff (laughs) like uh, he shouldn't even have been, you know, at this position at that time. But I mean, that is so common uh, where white people can just make up all these qualifications and then people will be acting like, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, such and such expert. And she knows everything. He knows everything. And, you know, they just made up whatever. I mean, that's rampant in the system of white supremacy.
20: And uh, Gus, I have to absolutely agree with you again. um, This guy, you know, allegedly had this high test score, this super high test score. He he allegedly um, qualified for some super high tech job in the uh, military, but dropped out of school. Who knows the whole story, but that was his story. And then, you know, he comes to the, you know, to our workspace, you know, bragging about he was accepted to the school, but, you know, for me, all I know is, hey, you, you dropped out, so I don't, you know, I don't care about your so-called whatever test score. And, uh, but, you know, the white boss again would rant and rave about how, like, oh, this guy is bright. He's so smart. And, but frankly, you know, I definitely didn't see it. I just saw a, uh, you know, I don't want to, <laughs> no name call it, but I didn't see it at all. I didn't see it at all. I mean, it was kind of it was useless at our
12: workspace, to be honest
20: with you. But, you know, and that's all that. Mm.
12: <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. have uh i guess about 10 minutes uh left in the broadcast uh, unless everybody is totally uh legit i'm still uh myth i should ask dr welsing about that um the workplace racism aspect but yeah anybody other workplace racism observations uh or info they wanted to share
20: Um, I'm sorry, I just seems like no one else is uh, speaking, but I have another one um, where I was <clears throat> kind of, I want to say, I wasn't physically trapped, but I felt like I was mentally trapped by two white people that are my peers at work, where they were just <coughs> they were just discussing. Um, they worked with uh, several black females that were their superiors, that were uh, their supervisors. And they just were, you know, it was just me and two white people. And they were just discussing how racist that these black female supervisors were so racist against white people. They would come in and complain, oh, you white people this. And, you know, I guess they were doing it kind of casually. But, of course, you know, white people are, they're so codified and, you know, they, uh at reversal. So they talked about these black females that I, that I know, I know them personally, uh, myself as well. And it's just like, Oh my God, I can't believe how racist these, you know, they, they were, they're so blah, blah. They always talking about white people and blah, blah, blah. And I had to, to sit there and endure, <laughs> endure that uh, conversation for about five minutes with, you know, I was kind of, Shaking that I was, you know, kind of biting my tongue so hard. But, uh, it's just, man, these people, uh, these white folks, they really love to turn the tables around and and be the victim. It's just, uh, it's just another one of the tactics. And, you know, uh, yeah.
12: Thank you. I would, I, in fact, my theory is that they're probably conspiring about how they can go about trying to get those females in trouble or fired or whatever they can do. Uh, that would be my uh, theory, um, and particularly in this sort of uh, climate. I think Thomas in New York was talking about a, a black female who was making comments on the job. I think she I think she was making these time of comments about other black people, but just saying that, you know, black people are worthless and, you know, black people are shiftless, those type of things. And uh, I'd asked Mr. Fuller about it and he was like, man, I would not, that is totally not advisable. <laughs> like in this sort of climate, like they'll, you know, have her reported and boom, she'll be out of a job. And you know, then the word will get around. They'll make it really difficult for, for her to get employment. Like you cannot be making those sort of comments like uh, just out in the workforce. Cause I, I could easily see how they could. And if these are white women that are complaining, I could totally just see them crying and you know, I felt intimidated and it's just, you know, every other day, no good white people, this and white people, that, and white people, this. And, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to feel guilty or if they're angry with me. It's just I'm, I'm just a total wreck and I can't concentrate. And I mean, man, it, it can get uh, it can get right ugly. Um Like I would definitely, that is not, not—we say that all the time. You're not supposed to be talking about racism on the job. Definitely not any, you know, open statements about your disgust for white people. That is, man, you are, you're even in jest if you're just, you know, because I've been around black people who said that sort of thing uh, jokingly uh, on the job in front of white people where it was all ha ha ha. I wouldn't even recommend that because I mean, white people are just so treacherous. Like the white people that are your friends today, next week can do the same thing and turn around. Oh, now I'm upset, man. Forget all of that. And, uh, what's interesting is that did
20: happen. Like luckily the, it was a male and a female, white female, white male that were doing the talking. So as far as what happened with the white female, of course, you know, they, she, I think she reported it in a way to where, <clears throat> just for her to move out the workspace and move to a different workspace. So if she, if she really <clears throat> wanted to have felt the the real need to take it higher, uh, I'm sure those black women would have uh, definitely gotten in trouble. Um, but luckily the, uh, the white male was such a poor performer and he was one of the, you know, I guess a really bad worker. He had, uh, he committed a lot of uh, offenses that, you know, kind of went against many of our rules. So, luckily, his um, his cries of reverse racism, quote-unquote, uh, were unheard, and he ended up getting in trouble for, you know, something that he did. Well, really, he didn't get into any, any official trouble. <laughs> he got transferred, so uh, he didn't get into trouble for all the stuff that he did. So. It was it was very interesting
6: just listening to the conversation. Um, may I ask a question? Is is it constructive to to just let white people, you know, denigrate black people and some of black people without at least saying that uh, you know that's just not something that uh, I participate in, or well, you know, I'm going to exit the conversation here or something, I just, I don't think, is that helpful?
20: It's absolutely not constructive for me, but it's just me. I was just observing the racism, really, at that point, because there was really nothing that I could do at the point. I definitely didn't participate in the conversation. I'm not going to, you know, start bashing or, yeah, yeah, you you were a victim of reverse uh, racism or, you know I didn't participate I was just listening but of course white people are very slick they very smart they're very, sm- they're very <clears throat> evil in a way so I'm sure they were observing all of my movements and motions and listening to any type of response that I might have just to gauge as to how uh, confused I am so I did I tried not to you know again I was shaking to want I wanted to say something <laughs> I wanted to defend them to a degree but I uh, I didn't, and I—I don't—I think that was the right choice, so I didn't. And, but of course, it wasn't constructive. I guess it was constructive in a sense just to observe more uh, examples of racism. So that was it.
15: Well, I would want
6: you to come to my defense.
12: What would that be in what this I situation? Would you-
15: Sorry.
12: What I would
20: do is if I thought I had a, because of course, again, we're, a lot of us are confused. So uh, if I thought you were really was still very confused about, about race, which you, you have to be confused about racism. If you were to make those comments in front of white people, you have to be confused. So I probably wouldn't come back and tell you, but if I, if I thought, you know, this was another type of situation and I thought you were less confused about Racism. I will come back and tell you, you know, what I heard, probably. But most people are confused, so I just keep it to myself
15: and and share it here.
20: Yeah, it's funny. Like I, I'm, I'm so, I'm so, uh, I'm just so skeptical and kind of paranoid so to speak that just how white people are. I wouldn't I mean I just wouldn't doubt if these people would be just listening to the show. Like this is how deviant and so codified and I don't I just I wouldn't doubt if they could say, Oh, that's so and so talking about me. I don't I just that's how paranoid I am. That's how powerful I know that white supremacy is but, you know, of course I try to do things to <clears throat> do my part and try to you know, uh, promote uh, justice and stuff, but, yeah.
12: What would, uh, you said, you would want the person to come to your aid, like, you know, what would that entail within the context of this situation, karma?
6: Well, I guess, if you know, white people were just having a trash fest. You know, I I would I would do what I do. I go like, oh, I didn't really have that experience. You know, I'd just shut the conversation down.
20: Oh, they would just say, "Oh, you're black." You know, you, of course you would experience that. So I mean, I definitely <laughs> I wasn't about to go there. I you know I've been you know, and that's one thing. <clears throat> and I'm sure everyone, I mean, a lot of people have developed this, but one thing about uh, just the military is, you know, somewhat of a, you know, a different environment, but I I do get to observe people really up close and personal a lot. So, you know, I definitely didn't want to go there. I know they're just itching for me to have some response, and then I'll be the reverse racist myself. And next thing you know, I have to really watch my back for, you know, some type of... Uh, revenge or something, so you
12: know, I didn't want to go there. Hmm. Hmm. Right on, right on. Uh, last 30 seconds, anybody have anything they need to get in, workplace racism in 30 seconds? Grand. Uh, I definitely appreciate uh karma you you know your call saying i would I would hope you know if it were me that you know the person might look out for me, I appreciate the uh the black self respect and in wanting to look out for the other black person uh but I do keep in mind first and foremost, I've said consistently you know on these jobs, hey it is army of one on <laughs> do not expect you know any form of help uh from any non white person Uh, In a workplace situation, uh, all of us, we're uh, victims of white supremacy and just trying, you know, struggling, doing the best we can to keep out of trouble ourselves. So uh, it's just such a difficult, uh, vulnerable position to be in. Um, And that said, uh, we did. I remember we had this conversation, Thomas, in New York. It was uh, last spring. uh, The context of the very. Uh, point that I raised before a black female was making these comments about other black people and uh, he was you know in a conundrum do I intervene do I say something to her do I not And we talked about this on the program and it was kind of split down the middle. It was about half the people were saying, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything, you know, who knows white people could, you know, have be using this for a setup or can use it to try to get me involved or blah, blah, blah. Or she might not respond well. Like I wouldn't want to get involved and other people felt like, you know, yeah, this is a black person. And I would, you know, I want to try to reach out. I want to try to exercise some black self-respect and try to help, uh You know as best I can, uh without you know putting myself in harm 's way to try to help this other black person uh we spent a, a a considerable amount of time discussing that and people sharing their different views. It was uh interesting exchange, but yeah, I definitely appreciate that and um understand you know where folks come down uh it's a it's a difficult difficult choice, but you know just try and do the best you can in those sort of situations um quickly i did want to get in i think uh one of our listeners joy she's a participant investor has she says uh maybe next week we'll get an update uh workplace racism that uh she is dealing with perhaps we'll get an update hope uh things go well stay safe be alert be alert uh never be surprised about racist man racist woman practicing racism in any form uh on the job uh also uh, I should be finished uh, with the book that I'm reading now, uh, Douglas Brinkley, Suspected Race Soldier. I should be done uh, within a day or two. Uh, I will be starting for all the people that think the levies in Katrina were bombed, uh, that you know, this is what happened with the Ninth Ward. Uh, you should definitely read uh, Rising Tide. Uh, Minister Farrakhan encouraged folks to read that book when he was giving his presentation as to why he thinks it could be that the levees were bombed. This was one of the books uh, that he cited uh, for evidence uh, to support that stance. Uh, It's about the 1927 flood, uh, which massive event uh, where the levees in New Orleans were deliberately detonated. Um, Most importantly, or I mean, that is certainly important, uh, even more important than that, Uh, in Mississippi the because the flooding happened in different states like it was incredible flood Uh, so in the Mississippi area where there was flooding the white people had to make a decision about whether or not they were going to allow the black people to evacuate they say we don't want to let them leave because if they leave they might not come back and we need our niggers to do work so We're not going to let them evacuate. We are going to put them in concentration camps. And that's what they did. They put them in camps and they made them work. They uh, enslaved them, had them go out and uh, clean up from the flood debris and all this. I mean, just heinous. And if any of them, you know, acted like they didn't want to do this, they weren't going to comply. I said, fine, no problem. We're not going to let you out of the concentration camp and we won't feed you there. (laughs) <laughs> that's what they're all of this in detail in rising tide. Uh, it is written by a suspected race soldier. He was in, uh, when the levees broke, he was also in, uh, if God is willing and the Creek don't rise, which is the follow up. Uh, he was a part of some of the Katrina 10, uh, ceremonies. Rising tide was published about 10 years before Katrina. So it's, uh, definitely an interesting read. It has more of the history, uh in new orleans and just the history of you know flooding uh in general along the mississippi river i'm very excited to read and quite a bit of racism in it you already know uh if anybody wants to chip in and it's about a thousand pages so this would be for the readers if we have readers uh i'm excited to read uh, it's supposed to be a very good book if uh, folks are down to read and swap notes uh, off the program let me know. I'll probably start reading it like Monday or Tuesday if you're interested. Let me know. You can drop me an email justice at gmail.com. You can uh, let me know, drop me a line if you have gripes about the program, complaints, if you can't find something in the archives, you have a suggestion, or anything else crazy you need to get through, drop me a line. We're on Twitter at untiljustice. At untiljustice. Thanks for the folks for uh, accommodating and uh letting go of uh the, the the comments about mr fuller's uh previous appearance i uh, think for the caller in ohio that we rebroadcasted uh that interview with mr fuller on thursday so it is in the archives uh for thursday you can check it out but it's just the rebroadcast of an appearance he had on a different program but uh appreciate the uh folks i <laughs> guess supporting uh definitely appreciate that and mr fuller you can support the website get the book producejustice.com I would think uh, think Mr. Fuller would say more importantly uh, than supporting or the best way if you appreciate Mr. Fuller's work uh, is to practice codification even if you don't agree with all aspects of his code to practice and refine your counter racist code to immediately produce justice I think that would be his request uh, at any rate sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism definitely don't want to be under the influence if you're going to be behind the wheel even if you're going to be a passenger or pedestrian alcohol being intoxicated is not a good look Uh, race soldiers they're looking for any reason to make trouble for us Uh, just keep that in mind you don't want to be around white people that are you know drinking doing anything even be mindful if it's non-white people and they are under the influence just try to avoid as much of that as you can to minimize problems Uh, also make sure you buckle up every time you get in the vehicle uh that's just to minimize contact with race soldiers just everything that we can do little things that can just make a big deal uh in terms of uh eliminating problems making things a little bit easier as we try to go about solving the problem the system of white supremacy that's it creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in.
3: Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, no brother. problem. You're a victim. Yeah. I'm up. a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.
19: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.